Hey, welcome to the 197th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McVale and Andrew Loken. They are huge supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And we are currently going back to 1981 to look at the classic Batman story, The Lazarus Affair, written by Marv Wolfman. So you can hear about that. And um, coming up. After that will be, I, I might do like three movies in a row, and it's going to be something that deals with something coming up. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. And that is ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. So this week, we got a lot to talk about. I didn't think there was going to be as much, which uh, I'm glad I was wrong. So uh, it turns out Superman and Lois was on this past week. I thought it wasn't going to be on because Flash and Legends wasn't. And uh, we got the uh, series finale of Mayor of Easttown. I love that show. More Cruel Summer, more Bad Batch. I Finally, I'm getting around to talking about uh, Adventure Time, uh, Distant Lands, the, the third episode. Um, yeah, you'll hear more. Why did it take me like two weeks to talk about that? And then uh, Lisey's story came out on Apple TV+. Plus. So it's an adaptation of Stephen King book. And um, I didn't. I had no idea. Well, I'll talk about that later. Um, I'm only talking about the first episode. Two episodes dropped last week, last Friday. And um, so we'll talk about the first one, and we'll, we'll see where we go from there. And then the movie feature is going to be The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And, like, Friday was a, was a hard day for me because uh, it was at, you know, it's on HBO Max and in theaters. But I was like, I'm going to go to theater because, one, I, I, I like The Conjuring movies. You know, they're, they're, they're good. Uh, it's creepy. I love the creepy movies or whatever, suspense movie, whatever you want to call it. And it's like I want to support my theater because they've been closed for, like, you know, over a year and you know support the movie companies hollywood or whatever you know to make sure we continue to get movies since it's been so long but knowing that like hbo you know was on hbo max and so during the day i was like oh i could just like start watching it but i was actually working so i shouldn't be watching something like that like on my lunch or anything but yeah so you can hear about all that and more comic books so let's start with the news uh first thing this is kind of a bummer i'm 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 disappointed in a, in a, for a couple of reasons. So apparently Jupiter's legacy is essentially canceled. So the actors were let go from their contract. So basically that means like, hey, sorry, you're free to you know get another gig. We're not going to be able to do another, another uh, season of this. Uh, that being said, there is going to be like a spinoff. So Super Crooks, which is another Mark Miller comic, is set in the same universe so we'll have that um, a series is being ordered for that. I don't know what the reasoning is. I'm wondering because the reports say that the budget for Jupiter's Legacy was 200 million, which is like holy cow, that's a lot for a TV season. And you know maybe it just didn't perform as well as they would have hoped. It's weird because how many weeks has it been? Like three weeks? Uh, I feel like it hasn't been. I don't think it's been more than four. Maybe it's been four. But it's like that first weekend, at least, or that first week, it was like the number one movie on Netflix. But 
maybe that was I don't know. I would just wonder what what the reasoning for is. It I'm assuming it was just too expensive, and you know maybe there wasn't enough return. It's too bad because you know with all the characters and everything, and you know with three volumes of the the comic series, it's like you know they they could have kept going expanding. And I wonder maybe they'll they will do that. You know, could we see a spinoff? based on you know one of the other characters even though there may not necessarily be a comic series dealing with that you know they could always branch out and be a little creative you know you don't just have to adapt you know comic books or you know comic series comic issues so it's and the other reason i'm, I'm kind of bummed i spent i mean it, i had fun so i shouldn't I, I can't can't really complain but i spent the entire saturday when that weekend when you know the weekend came out watching all the episodes and I mean, I don't, you know, I don't usually binge shows like that, but I, it's like I needed to so I could watch it and talk about it. But it's like, okay, so I get invested in the show and now that's it. It's, it's, you know, there's no more. So it's like, you know, why did I watch a show if there's, and, and yeah, you know, that's the thing. It's like, I, I got that, that day's worth of entertainment, but it's just, it's disappointing. But that's the way it goes, I guess. Uh, let's see, Love and Thunder. Thor Love and Thunder has wrapped filming. So uh, Chris Hemsworth posted a picture of like him, Taika Waititi, and his he, Thor, Chris Hemsworth, massive arm. So he's been, been working out like crazy, I guess. So, yeah, so they wrapped filming. Now they just have to do all the effects and everything like that. And that's going to be like, because isn't it out like in a year? It's like next year. So it's, it's you know, you don't want to rush these things, but it's like, geez, man, I don't want to wait that long, but. Again, that's how it goes. Speaking of waiting, so there was a, I don't know if there's more than one, but there was a new Black Widow clip, and I debated, I was like, I don't want to watch any more clips. It's like, I'm going to see the movie. I can't wait to see the movie. But there was a, a new clip, and it didn't really show a whole lot different, you know, anything new, which is fine, because, you know, I don't need any spoilers or anything like that. But it, it just kind of tells, you know, the story of Black Widow, and it shows some flashback from the other movies. And so... I, I'm excited, and I, I, with that, you know, I'm I'm disappointed that they killed off her character. So it's like, you know, we could we could have had more Black Widow solo movies. Could we still? Maybe I doubt it. Um, could they bring her back? They could bring her back. Will they? I doubt it. So I don't know. We'll see. But I'm, I'm I can't wait for that. So July 9th, that is coming out. Um, Joel Kinnaman has uh, he was he had some things to say about Suicide Squad, the the first one, David Ayer one. He blamed the studio's involvement for interfering with David Ayer's original vision. And like he, you know, he said something like he thought the first 40 minutes was great, but then there's like conflicting visions with, you know, like what they wanted to do and where they wanted to go. And I don't know, part of it because, you know, Deadpool came out earlier that year and it was like a success. So they wanted to add more. I don't know. So we, we have all that. But um Obviously, he's he's not disappointed with the studio because you know he's he he's like one of the few that came back for the Suicide Squad. So we'll see about that. Indiana Jones supposedly maybe may start filming this week. This week, as you're listening, so Indiana Jones Five um, that'll be cool. I'm I'm wondering what they're going to do. You know, we'll see. Uh, there was a kind of a teaser for Shazam for the next Shazam movie. Basically, it just shows like kind of like a close up panning up, uh, you know, Shazam's costume. And then he's like, hey, he's like, why is it so dark in here? You know, because it's supposed to be like moody and everything like that. And I was expecting to him like maybe to say Shazam and get some lightning. But no, we didn't get any of that. So a little humor there. haha. And also um, the director of the Flash movie. 
he uh, he teased Michael Keaton's bat suit. It's like this is a Flash movie, and people are probably more excited because Michael Keaton's going to be in it. But you just kind of see the, the the bat emblem, and it looks like there's a little blood on there and everything. So that's cool. And it's, it's great that they finalized everything because, you know, Michael Keaton for a while, he's like, yeah, I haven't confirmed anything. You know, I haven't even read the script. And, you know, it's going to depend on the safety. And it was so weird, like, when when that soundbite or interview clip or whatever came out because this is, like, way before the vaccine because he's like, it's going to depend on how safe it is. You know, I don't know if I want to go there and put my life at risk just to make a movie. And But hopefully he's vaccinated and everything is good. WandaVision, the, the series creator. It's, it's weird to think when they say, like, WandaVision creator. It's like, well, you didn't you created the show, but you didn't create the characters. Even, like, with the Marvel, you know, whatever, the MCU version, you're not creating those characters. You're creating a version of the but whatever. So the WandaVision creator said that, Originally, Agatha was going to be more of like a mentor, um, and then things just eventually changed. So I was like, okay. And uh, Paul Bettany, he what was he talking about? He was talking about for something, but then he it came up with a. He's like he doesn't know when the when Vision is going to return to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, he's he's like, well, you know, they'd have to renegotiate his. Con- he doesn't have a contract. So they'd have to, you know, negotiate a contract for him to come back and everything. And, you know, we assume we'll see him. You know, you don't you don't do what you did to Vision and then just leave it at that. So it's it's kinda kinda weird that there's no plan. Or maybe we just don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean I think people are still upset with him. <laughs> not not anyone at the studio that he when he teased that, you know, we're getting to work with the actor that he's always wanted to work with, which was himself. It's like, yeah, okay. Don't you don't joke like that. You don't get pe- you know the Marvel fans. They're going to get their hopes up. Um, and then, why the last man? So that's coming to Hulu. I don't remember. Did I know it was coming to Hulu? Have I mentioned that? So the series is coming to Hulu, or is going to be on Hulu. It has a premiere date, September thirteenth. So I'm assuming that means the entire season will drop on September thirteenth. It's like, don't do that. You know, do it like, you know, at least uh, like HBO and uh, Apple, a lot of times they'll drop like two episodes or three. You know, if you want to do it, do that. But it's like, why drop them all at once? And, and it's, yeah, people, I don't know, do majority of people want to binge? And if they want to binge, they, they can wait a couple weeks or whatever. So you have all that. As far as some comic news, Donny Cates and Ryan Otley are going to be working on a new Hulk series. What, did I know that? I know, you know, they were talking about Al Ewing's run on Immortal Hulk was coming to an end. Maybe that news came out, and then now the Donny Cates and Ryan Otley. So I said, okay. I mean, I, I can't wait to see Ryan Otley. You know, we he's drawn Hulk, uh, you know, done commissions and stuff like that. I can't wait to see what he's going to do. Like, is it going to be, like, as violent as some of the commissions he's done? But I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> and then, Al, speaking of Al Ewing, Al Ewing, Ram V, and Brian Hitch are going to be on Venom in the fall. So it's kind of like they're, they're trading places, I guess. And then uh, the, a teaser image came out, a Mark Brooks art for X-Men, Inferno, John Jonathan Hickman doing something with the mutants so that's probably gonna be crazy and weird and exciting so we have that to look forward to and um that's it for the news not a whole lot of news this week which is fine let's keep things going all right comic books at image we have the awesome and delightful 
Deadly Class, number 46. So Rick Remender, Wesley Craig. Um, and I, I say this every time. I love this book. I, it's just something about it. It's been weird since it's done. It's a little like time jump a little. And um, it's things are, aren't pleasant. They never really were pleasant. I mean, you're talking about a kid who had a horrible life. You know, his parents died, were killed, lives on the streets, lived, you know, because he, he lived in a, a kid's home, you know, foster home or shelter or whatever. And there's like this horrible bully kid there. And then he lived on the streets and then he's brought into this school for assassins and then bad things happen there. And so it's just been like so much like, you know, badness after, you know, bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. And, and now, um, seeing where he's at now you know he's not marcus isn't in the best place he's he's doing okay but what's interesting here we we kind of get some glimpses like what happened in between so the the last thing that we saw is when the a bunch of kids were like up at a, a cabin like in tahoe and you know just partying and stuff like that and then uh murder and mayhem starts coming their way as you know they get targeted and, and stuff like that but we 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 never really saw what happened like immediately after that, like the, the next day, but we, we get a glimpse at, at some of the things there and uh, there's some closure, some things. And also we find out was like, whatever happened, you know, with the school and why aren't we seeing the school so much? So we kind of get a, a little idea, a little taste of that. Now it's interesting with the synopsis. It says Saya and Marcus are reunited Will she be the flame that reignites Marcus? Will he drag her into this pit of apathy or will they burn down the world together? So she was in here, but not a whole lot. But man, this is just a good book. So my monthly um, recommendation plea or whatever, if you haven't read this book, you really need to read this because this is amazing. If you have Peacock and you haven't watched it yet you can watch the first season the only season of show that sadly the only season it's, it was a great show and um i don't know if it makes a difference if you know enough people stream it if someone would try to revive it you know it, it's i almost feel like it's it, too much time has passed it's been at what a couple years or at least so it, it's it's great stuff um you should definitely experience it if you haven't uh, so yeah a family tree so this is one that i i somehow i fell behind the the final issue, 12th issue, came out, so I, I need to read those at some point. Uh, Noctera issue, what issue came out? Four? Issue four came out. I'm, I'm enjoying this. You know, we're seeing more. What I really like about this is, you know, we're in this, like, really bad present or whatever. But, you know, just seeing glimpses like the flashback, you know, uh, we, we, we see that this type of storytelling told, you know, used a lot where, you know, it kind of, you know, you're in a present and you see like things that happen leading up to it and so forth. But I, I like the, how we see like just at different times and not necessarily to pair, there are not really parallels between the two time periods, but it's, it's cool to see uh, Val, like when she was, you know, younger and with her brother and how, when this whole, cause the world goes into darkness and then these, you know, creatures start forming and people evolving and infected and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's, you know, seeing them as kids and, you know, their, their parents are infected and locked in the basement and, but they're trying to bust out. And, you know, there's like reports that the government's going to be coming, you know, to every house and saving people and all the stuff like that. And obviously that doesn't happen. So it's, it's, it's kind of cool to see the both, you know, 
like how she's managed to survive and everything like that and and now stuff's happening with her brother and you know they're they're on the run and so a lot of a lot of interesting things here and and just tony daniel and tome more more's colors i mean it's just it's great stuff so um i am totally digging this so you might want to check that out um and then see what else came out i think that was it that i read at image there wasn't anything at marvel at boom buffy the vampire slayer issue 26 came out so that's something i still need to get get caught up on, on that and then there's a new i should have wonder if i should check this oh see i should have checked this out uh, ballistic number one came out so I, I i do need to read this and hopefully I'll, I'll read it and tell you about it next week ballistic is by colin bunn so Colin Bunn, he he does he does a lot of creepy good creepy stuff. It says, "Who can stop the Chimera? Five individuals bound by a cult-like hive mind. They terrorize small towns with their horrifying supernatural sense-based powers, leaving death and destruction in their wake." Reagan, one of the Chimera, escaped and has been in hiding with her murderous eyes bound, overcome with guilt. Until now, when a victim from her past forces her to hunt down the other four of her kind. Okay, um, that that could be interesting. So Boom has has a lot of good stuff. You know, you should definitely check them out and don't overlook them because there's definitely cool things there. Okay, at DC, I'm going to start with the Nice House on the Lake. So this is by James Tynan IV and Alvaro Martinez Bueno and Jordi Belair. And I, so I, I had to write a review for this. So I read this, you know me, I, you know, I, I don't, especially during the school year, you know, I don't have a lot of time to write reviews or just, a, I don't have a lot of energy, but I had to, as soon as I read this, I was just like, holy crap. So I, I love this book so much. It's a 12 issue miniseries. It's on DC's black label. And uh, I'm trying to think how to describe it without spoiling too much. And um, based I, I guess I, you know, I can say as much as re- what was released in the, the preview pages. That's kind of how I, I geared my review. So it starts off where we see this uh, the main character, maybe the main character Ryan, and she's like looks like she's dressed ready for anything almost. And it's like, is there a bunch of fire behind her? Like, what's going on? Is like some sort of hell on earth or it's whatever's going on? And she starts talking about when you hang out with your friends at the bars or whatever, and you know, you, you have your core friends, but then like, kind of like the, the secondary people change. Cause it, you know, you, you got the friends of the friends, the, the significant others and everything, but then people break up or whatever. So you, you get these like rotation of other people coming in and she's talking about like at one time she's out and there's this dude that she meets Walter and you know he's just sitting there, and and you you just can tell by looking at him, where you know he's just sitting back, he's kind of lounging, you know, very confident or whatever. He's got these sunglasses, and and he's just like, how do you think the world's going to end? And then she's like, oh, you know that that kind of throws her off. You know, it's not like your typical pickup line or anything like that. So they they talk about it, and and apparently they they continue the conversation like other days, and you know texting or whatever. And then one day they just like stop. It, you know, she didn't hear from him for like two years. She gets an email, like a, a joint email from to a bunch of people's an invitation from Walter to go to this gorgeous beach house. You know, they're not beach house, a house on the lake. 
and he says all the stuff. So she goes there and she finds out like, you know, other people she knows are there and everything. I'm going to stop right there. I don't want to get too, too far into it, but it just takes a, a turn. Like, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think what else is, is mentioned in the, the solicit, but it really takes like a, a just crazy turn. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen in the rest of the series. So we have got great art, great colors, great story. It's like the whole package. And this is one where I'm so glad that we have a great art team to go along with a great story. Cause you know, I, I was, I was talking about this with someone. It's like, you know, you could have this really cool story, but if you don't have good art, it, it just, it makes it hard to enjoy it no matter how great the writing is. So, you know, it really is a, a team effort on this. So I, I, I recommend this. And then I didn't realize, I totally missed when it was announced, but apparently this book, the pre-sales, like pre-orders from comic shops were like over a hundred thousand, which in today's age, day and age, whatever, that's, that's pretty impressive. So people were on board with this and, and, you know, James Tynan, the fourth, his, his, you know, department of truth, something's killing the children, you know, Batman, he's, he's on fire. So this, this guy, it's, he's, he's, he's good. So, um, I, I, DC better like treat him well because man, this, this was good stuff. So I, I'm super excited for this. And you know me, if you've been listening lately, I've been kind of, you know, a little down on comics lately because, you know, some of like just the events that we get or just a lot of like repeated storylines or, you know, something happens and then, you know, it's, you know, everything is going to revert back. So I haven't been like super excited about as many books as I used to be, but something like this, this is, this is just like really good. And then, uh, then we have Batman 109 also by James Tynan. So this is continuing the story with like the the scarecrows around um, town. Whether it's scarecrow, you know, supposedly not scarecrow, but something's happening. And then you know the mayor, he's uh, he has his his uh, battle against costume people. And then we have that what's that guy's name? Um, is this Simon or something like that? Where he wants to push this uh, the the magistrate program, which if you've read. The future state books, you know, that's not a good thing. And, you know, he's he's trying to um, get Peacekeeper 1, who was like the dude that was a, a guard at Arkham Asylum when the, the, the gas went off, when the attack went off. So um, things aren't looking too good for Batman here. Okay, then, uh, oh, I did not read this. We have the Adventure Con- Batman Adventure Continues Season 2. I meant to, to read this. Somehow I got behind on... The season one so the there's the trade for the season one has just been released but i have like the individual issues on my ipad from on the dc app so i need need to read that so those are 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 cool and you know if you're a fan of the animated show you definitely need to read this then there's a batman catwoman number five i just i i'm not excited for this book i hate to say so you know this is tom king clay man tome more you know, great art and colors, but I just feel like there's not a whole lot happening. You know, we, we got the, the dual storylines going on here. So we got uh, the present storylines uh, with like Catwoman and Phantasm, which I still don't feel like her presence here is absolutely necessary. I feel like, you know, she's such a beloved character from the Mask of the Phantasm. 
I, I feel like she shouldn't be used because it's it's doesn't feel like a whole lot's happening. You know, there's a stuff with her son and, you know, her whatever anger towards Joker, but I don't know. And then the stuff in the future, uh, just when, when Harley shows up, I feel like her reaction to something, to Joker, something that happens to Joker, it just kind of felt like she took like five steps back. And, and there's kind of a reason for her outrage or something like that. But it just kind of felt like she's she still hung up on Joker after all this time. She's like, no, she's moved on. And even though she wants to do something else, to jo- it's, I don't know, it just, it, it just really bothered me. So um, then we have Batman Fortnite Zero Point Issue 4. So things have kind of taken a little, little, little turn here. Because, you know, the whole idea where, you know, Batman was in this world it keeps resetting he can't talk you know he, every time the world resets he like loses his memory so he's not sure what's going on um he's trying to adapt and and you know leave clues for himself but he manages to escape and there's some other people who have escaped into this other place so they can talk now so now um, he's there catwoman's there deathstroke's there which i don't think we saw him before and then what i assume are a bunch of the, the Fortnite characters so you know they're trying to figure out who's behind all this and what's going on and everything, and it is kind of interesting, you know, Batman kind of just automatically taking charge where you know he doesn't have all his memories, you know, he doesn't know who he is and everything like that. So there, there's some some cool moments here. Then uh, we have Crime Syndicate issue four. I'm not not loving this story. Um, it's I I do I th- I feel like I've said this already. You know, it is interesting that the the characters are slightly different from the regular crime syndicate that we usually have you know we have donna troy instead of lois lane as superwoman we have john stewart instead of i don't even know who the other um lantern was if it was i don't think it was hell but uh you know and seeing what's the the deal with this john stewart is kind of interesting when how he gets the ring and and you know it's it's kind of hard to say is he good or is he bad because you know everyone's kind of opposite here or like, you know, Lex Luthor is kind of the good guy. And then, you know, then we see Sinestro in here. You know, it's like, are, is he supposed to be good? So there's some interesting things here, but yeah, it's just, it's just been okay. Crush and Lobo. So I, I really, I like Crush. Um, and Marika, Mariko uh, Tamaki writes this issue. And there's a, a, a slight development with Crush where, you know, she's... She has a girlfriend. We'll just say that, and uh, you know, because we haven't seen like when she met her, because you know she did like the Jin, Jin or whatever in Teen Titans. So, um, yeah, something I don't know when, when she would have met this other girl and everything and and all that. So there's there's some interesting things where we're seeing Crush trying to, uh, you know, have a sort of normal life, and you know things aren't don't necessarily go her way and. Then she gets a message from Lobo, which is going to you know tie the two together, obviously. So that'll be weird. One thing that, I don't know, that felt a little off to me is, is Crush looks really tall here. And I don't remember her being that tall in Teen Titans. I mean, maybe I just didn't realize it, but she seems like like really tall, like, like over six feet compared to everyone else. So it's just a minor thing, but I, I didn't think she was that, that tall. Then we have... 
DC Horror Presents The Conjuring, The Lover, issue one. Now, apparently the first story, so David Leslie Johnson, I think is a screenwriter or somehow involved with The Devil Made Me Do It. This is supposed to tie into the movie, but it seems weird because I think this is a five-issue series, and we're only getting the first issue, and the movie's out this week. So if there's any tie-in, you know, you read this, you might be like, how is this connected? And then there is a, a backup story called The Ferryman, and it's which surprisingly, it's written by Scott Snyder. I didn't realize that, you know, he was going to be working on this as well. And when you read it, it almost feels like, wait, how is this connected to The Conjuring? The only thing I can figure is there's an idea of a coin, you know, the coin for the ferryman and all, all that is maybe the coin is one of the artifacts in uh, in in the the home of our our characters, you know, all their their, their prize confiscated um, items or whatever. You know, if you've seen the Conjuring movies, where you know they they have everything locked up, but it was an okay first issue. We'll, we'll see how how this goes. Then there is oh wait Green Lantern came out Green Lantern three I okay I missed that so I'm downloading that now I have to read that later and then we had Justice League sixty two this is is okay you know it's continuing where they're on Naomi's world and it's it's weird because this dude that is trying to come to Earth you know they they've fought him off. But then now that they're on Naomi's world, you know, a, a lot of the the, the leagues, are, their powers are like on overload and Superman and Black Adam get defeated. Like <laughs> we don't even see it. It happens like so easily, but it's like they're almost like amped up here, but then they get both defeated. So they're the most powerful ones and they weren't able to stand up to this dude. So I, I don't really know, but we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious. It's it's not completely blowing me away, but you know, and I, I do like David Marquez's art. You know that that's always good to see. So we'll see what. Um, and then there's the backup, the Justice League dark stuff. Merlin, I'm just having a hard time. I mean, I like Zatanna, so that's that's the only reason that it's holding any interest for me. Then surprisingly, I didn't even I don't I hadn't heard anything about this Spy Hunter and Paperboy. So six issues dropped, and I don't know if this is the whole... I'm assuming this is, like, the whole thing. So it's written by Larry Hama. And because um, when I saw this on a DC app, I'm like, Spy Hunter and Paperboy, those are, like, two video games. It's like you're combining them. So I've read the, the first one, and uh, the art is by Mac Ray. So the, the art, I don't even know how I would describe this, but I, I kind of like the art. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting, that's the, the art, the style, and the colors. So... Yeah, they 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 have merged the two. I'm assuming this is the Paperboy from Paperboy, and uh, I'll, I'll probably check out the rest. It, it's 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 interesting. Then we have Suicide Squad number four, and there's you know they're they're back at their headquarters or whatever, and they have Red X. So we still have no idea who Red X is. And you know he, um, what's interesting is he's captured. You know, he, he was helping them, but, you know, whether they can trust him or not, you know, because Amanda doesn't trust anyone. But she can't take his, his uh, mask off because there's, like, I think anytime anyone tries, they get, like, 
shocked or something like that. So like the idea is who is he that you know, he's like prepared so well and how does this tie into, you know, Teen Titans Academy or whatever. And yeah, so I, I'm I'm interested. I'm I'm okay with what's going on so far. Um I it is interesting how these two books I, I like the idea how these books are kinda like connected. because um, you wouldn't expect it and it kind of helps enhance each other you know because seeing how how they're working together side by side and then that's it that i read at dc because there's like swamp thing came out i'm not reading that and um man bat came out so if you're reading that hopefully you're enjoying those and then at marvel so we had amazing spider-man 67 and this is um starting up the chameleon conspiracy and I'm trying to think, like, what happened? When was the last time we saw a Chameleon? Which, I, you know, there, there's a flashback. They mentioned some things. I remember at one point where he, like, didn't he, like, completely, like, lose his mind and he was just, like, like drooling or whatever? But what is cool here is they, they make mention of, I think it was, oh, I want to say Amazing Spider-Man 400. So when um, Peter's parents came back from the dead, but then it turned out they weren't back, that the Chameleon created these like robots to, to kind of mess with Peter because Harry put him up to it and all that. So I, I like that there's mention of that. And um, let's see, does it say in the, so it doesn't mention someone else pops in, but if you're familiar, um, well, she's in a preview. Okay. So Teresa Parker is here. So Peter's long lost sister. And uh, you know, she just had an encounter with chameleon the last time I think we saw her. So, I, I like that character, so I'm curious to see what's going to happen with her. And then also, what's the, uh, there's another storyline going on here is Betty Brant came to town, and she's pregnant. And Peter's like, what? And um, we do find out who the father is, and that opens up like a bag of confusion. And, um, yeah, so there's definitely some, like, what is going on with that? So definitely some interesting things here. Then with Black Hat issue seven, so Black Hat is um, determined to try to save the soul of all of Manhattan or whatever, since uh, uh, Black Fox kind of sold everyone out for immortality for himself and for Felicia. And yeah, so she's uh, it's it's interesting what she does and. Um, it's it's impressive, you know the the means that she goes and what she's able to accomplish and everything like that. So, you know, you you gotta give her credit for that. Um, but then I will say, the way this ends, which I, I I believe it made headlines already, or you know people are talking about it. But um, I totally don't remember her name now. But the her kind of enemy foe, you know, from the the thieves guild. You know they they work together and then they're they're talking at the end and then Felicia starts like making moves like hey let's let's kiss let's make out and she's like what are you doing what are you are you sure and and she's like sure why not type of thing so I you know I don't know what the the headlines are if they're saying that she's coming out of the closet or she's gay I mean obviously she would be bisexual if if that was the case and I'm I'm totally fine with that I don't have a problem with it it just seems kind of weird that we haven't heard of this before. I don't think we have. And it's like, okay, we are in Pride Month. So it's like, is that why they're doing it? I don't know. 
because you know we know she she was really into spider-man obviously she wasn't into peter parker but she was into spider-man who else did she date did she date flash thompson and uh i'm sure there's been other other dudes but it's like i don't know if she's ever shown any interest in women so you know again i totally fine with that but it just feels like let's make this character you know bisexual to draw attention which again may if so maybe that's that's fine you know maybe we need that since we don't have a lot of prominent characters and yeah we are we're getting newer newer characters that are you know lgbt you know so it just feels like it's being forced upon readers it's not a bad thing at all but it just i i i, I would rather if it's like a natural thing if it was intended but then rather than let's just do this because I, I that's how i feel like what happened with Iceman that it was just like let's just make this happen rather than it's like something that naturally was kind of there so i don't and hellions issue 12 so this is starting with the the hellfire gala it was it was okay i i still don't really know what the point of the hellfire gala is i feel like i missed that you know they've been talking about it we see a lot of the characters in their fancy costumes and, and everything but what, the unfortunate thing is like some of the hellions aren't invited because they're not good looking enough or whatever or you know they're, they're not they're, some of them are a little too savage but they decide to, to crash anyways and and you kind of see some sad moments like havoc is still trying to petition to get madeline Pryor cloned and brought back but they're just really kind of you know not, they don't even want to address their concerns or decisions or anything like that and uh we see some other things like you know Quan and and betsy run into each other and uh what else was there there's there's something else that came out uh, i can't remember now but oh oh yeah that was it wild child sees aurora and you know that that's always been like a weird thing um sometimes it's been good sometimes not so good so they kind of bump into each other and it's like oh and then uh then later wild child sees aurora with dokken and he doesn't take that too well so some definitely some interesting things even though just focusing on this gala thing which it's it's i don't know it's it seems it seems bizarre but uh i'll let's see where this is gonna go okay then we have uh heroes reborn number five and oh man i i just i'm i don't know what it is about this series and i i think what it is actually if, if i think about it i i'm just not a big squadron supreme fan so what we're basically getting is kind of like the marvel universe reborn as hence the, the title with the squadron supreme front and center because you know this is the world where the avengers n never were and so i guess the squadron supreme ended up taking their place that's okay whatever that you know that that could be interesting what a world without the avengers but the, the thing is it's hard for me to care because i don't really care about these characters and the other thing that that's making it bad is it, it it's like with so we we get a lot of nighthawk this week and basically you know nighthawk is a character who's kind of like batman right you know we we, we kind of get this whole thing except he's working in, in congress or whatever but then apart from that so many moments of his life in this world are basically spider-man's life so it just to me it kind of uh, it kind of feels a little lazy 
I mean, maybe there's some reason why Spider-Man in particular. I could see if you're going to pull bits from different characters or whatever, but it's like everything Spider-Man. And, you know, it's a, I'm, I'm, like Craven the Hunter took his place one time, you know, whatever, posed as him. Um, he got a symbiote costume on Battle World and he was trying to take, he was dating uh, Black Cat at the time. His part, he was partners with Falcon. Falcon gets killed. Uh, just spoilers. Falcon gets killed by Green Goblin. Uh, Gwen Stacy it was involved, and they were they were kind of together, something like that. So it's like basically, it's like, dude, you have an obsession with Spider Man. It's like, why do you want Spider Man's life in this new world? And then the other thing that kind of bothers me is the fact that since Coulson, Phil Coulson, was killed during Secret Empire, and then somehow brought back. Now he's he brought he came back evil. And now he's President Coulson, and I just—I mean, Coulson is like the last person to be evil in any means. So we have all it. So uh, in uh, Heroes Born Five, you kind of get a lot of what I just said. There's a a riot at Ravencroft Asylum, so he goes there to check it out, and that's where Green Goblin's there, and and we find out Gwen Stacy is still alive here, and 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 so forth. Uh, then there was a backup story. I don't even remember what the, the backup story dealt with, but it's just, okay, so we have all that. And then um, kind of going along with it is Heroes Were Born American Knights. So we have Luke, Luke Cage is like a commissioner, and he was also in the hero, regular Heroes Were Born. There's one comic where things kind of overlap. Maybe it's the next Heroes Were Born comic that I'll talk about. So here you know, we have Luke Cage. He was in prison at some point, but somehow he still becomes a police commissioner and, you know, he wants to do the right thing. And yeah, there's a sort of a daredevil. I mean, it is daredevil's character, but he's a, he's a, a priest. He's a deacon and he's doing like other, he's like a vigilante. I don't think he's blind here because the world is different. So there's that. And then <laughs> there's hero reborn Marvel double action. And this is supposed to be like, a reprint, you know, like a fake reprint of a flashback moment. So this shows this. I, I kind of like the art. I mean, the, the art has a kind of like a retro style, and we see Nighthawk with Falcon, and you know the events leading up. You know, Harry is, and again, it's like Nighthawk wants to be Peter Parker, as you know, he's he's friends with his friends, and but then there, there's like some overlap with what happened in the Heroes Reborn issue, and I don't know. So it's just, I just don't. I get the whole idea of, you know, comics are supposed to be stories, entertainment, everything like that. But I guess I'm wondering is what repercussions will there be from here in the long term? Because obviously things are going to revert back. And then, you know, we're, we're getting, you know, we're supposed to invest in all these issues, all these one shot side stories. And when everything changes back, is, is that it? I mean, I guess not everything has to be. So if, if you're enjoying like alternate, like what if story, these are basically just like, it's one big whole what if thing f- focusing on the Squadron Supreme. So that's my problem with it. I mean, other than that, I mean, I, I hope other people are, are enjoying it more than I am, but I'm just not a fan of, of the Squadron. So Immortal Hulk, uh, <laughs> the thing that bothers me about Immortal Hulk is just the, the fact that like the Avengers attacked Hulk because you know he's he's sitting in a bar drinking and he even told like the bartender that you know he doesn't want to you know cause any problems and then Thor comes in and starts like fighting them starts trashing the place when Hulk was just like hey I'm gonna just I just want to drink 
the, I think at one point the report's like, it's this destruction is because of the Hulk. It's like, no, it's not. It's because of the Avengers, because you guys are just being a bunch of jerks and just coming in high and mighty and everything. It, there are some interesting parts, like where Rick Jones, he's like, Captain America, do you know who I am? And he's like, Rick? Because, you know, Rick looks all, all weird, I, which I, I hope that changes. He gets some sort of normalcy. Uh, and then we have Betty in her red bird whatever form thing and then there's some interesting stuff with like she hulk where you know because she is a hulk but you know she's with the avengers so it's like you know what is she gonna do there so we'll see and then there is iron man annual uh so this one what was interesting about this is this is um one of these uh infinity um what is it infinity theory is that what it's called where there's there's a uh, infinite destinies maybe that's it it's tying into like the new infinity stones or whatever that, that are back and you know we, we find out where another one is but it's kind of subtle in a way the main focus here which it doesn't even show it on the the cover but iron man and miles morales kind of have some little you know adventure you know fighting alongside each other and they get time to talk and miles ends up telling him it's like yeah, this dude, the assessors, like, I don't know if you know him because, you know, he's into, like, all this technology or whatever, but he, like, kidnapped me, did all the stuff and everything, and, and Iron Man's like, oh, that, that's horrible. And he's like, I'll, you know, I'll look into this. So, you know, that that's kind of the nice thing about here with Iron Man because Iron Man lately, is, he's just, like, an arrogant jerk and everything like that, you know, especially, like, in the um, – the the last what mutant book I just talked about <laughs> where Iron Man shows up. Um, Marauders, was it? And one of the you, Iron Man is just a big jerk when he shows up to Krakoa, to the, the big Hellfire Gala. So a lot of times, you know, he's just arrogant. He's cocky. He's, he's a, a major jerk. But at least here he's trying to help out Miles. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to find his successor guy. And so there's some interesting things with that. There's stuff with Nick Fury. It says, uh, Nick Fury, agent of nothing, and Phil Coulson, agent of Mephisto. Ugh. For the first time since Coulson came back from the dead, these two brothers' armor will face off. So we just get, I guess it's the first part of this, if this is crossing over into other annuals or whatever. But there's no Coulson here, and uh, I hope that that gets, Coulson gets fixed. <laughs> Marauders, okay, this issue is dealing more with the party. And what's interesting about this is there are some parts that repeat from um from uh hellions and you know because you're but you're seeing it from a slightly different angle like the the interaction between iron man and quentin choir is i mean it's like a different perspective and it's a little longer can we see a little bit more but we also get some information and because at one point like the shiar came and they have a delivery and i believe it's in this one now i'm getting the two mixed up where we find out like what the delivery was and so forth so the I don't know how we feel about the whole gala thing. There is one of the issues, I'm forgetting which one now, where we see Franklin. Franklin looks totally young, younger than he is, than he has been since he's aged a little bit, but just minor things. And and then there's some funny stuff with like Captain America and Emma Frost. So, but yeah, with the gala, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. Nonstop Spider-Man issue three. I'm still, I'm okay with this series. Part of the problem is I feel like that this should have came out a year ago. And at one point, you know, because Nora Winters is here, Spider-Man's interaction with her, they had to say, oh, this takes place between before Amazing Spider-Man 61 because, 
you know, he that's when Spider-Man decided to work for with Nora and, and Jameson. So it this whole thing, I, I don't know, they're trying to find out who's distributing this drug that is targeting smart people, but it's also sp- targeting smart people of color. And it's like kind of like stealing their intelligence and stuff. And so Spider-Man and Nora are trying to, they're on the run from these Zapata brothers, which they're like these wrestler mercenary dudes, which is kind of funny. I feel like we've seen them before. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure we have maybe. I mean, I, I, I can't say I'm an expert and can tell you like all their appearances or any appearance. But the other thing that I kind of kind of like here, I didn't, didn't really notice it in the other issues. Maybe I just was oblivious to it. But it looks like when Spider-Man's spider sense is going off, we're seeing like words like above his head. It's like, jump, go. You know, like it's like kind of like what the spider sense is telling him to do. And we never really think about it because it's, I always wonder like how the heck the spider sense works. You know, like what, how, how is that communication, that reaction to him? You know, because you, the idea is supposed to be if he's in a fight, he knows when to duck and weave and everything because he knows that the, the, you know, when the punches are coming or someone's going to shoot, he knows how to, to jump and flip and twirl, you know, to avoid the bullets and, and, and so forth. So it's been depicted different ways. And I, I feel like this is something that if I had the time, everything, I would try to research like different depictions or mentions of how to spider sense work. Cause like sometimes they say it's just kind of like, like a, a, a nudge or something like that, like tells him to move or anything, but it, it's got to be more specific than that because if he's, if there's going to be like a bunch of guys with machine guns, he needs to know it's which way to go. It can't just be like, you need to get out of the way. It's like, okay, you need to, you know, go turn to your left and then jump up and then duck down and then somersault and then tuck and roll and stand on one foot and then backflip and so forth. So the the story is okay, but I I, you know, I I like the art. I still I'm not super crazy about the layout, how everything is like kind of on an angle, but I guess that's supposed to make it more frenetic. I don't know, but it, it's it's fine. Um then Savage Avengers 21. It's crazy to think that this is a 21st issue and Codehen is still trying to to fight or defeat Kulan Goth. And as I probably mentioned every single time, I don't like Kulan Goth, however you say his name. He was in a, like the X-Men issues when I first started reading X-Men, like in the, the one, not the 180s. Maybe it was in the 180s around there. And at first I was like, this is so weird, so confusing, because like Manhattan was transformed. So it just feels like Conan's been fighting this dude like forever. It's like nothing's ever happening. And there's been a lot of tangents and different things. So what's interesting here is Conan has decided to stay at the Manhattan or New York, whatever, Hellfire Club. And like White Queen shows up and, you know, she has some some things to say to him. And and Conan's, you know, he's not going to let a woman talk to him a certain way and so it's kind of kind of funny here, and then uh, he ends up. Then what bothers me here, <laughs> I can't even talk because it's so whatever. Is he's like kind of there's some people are getting um, infected or, or possessed or you know inf- influenced by dark ways by Cool and Goth probably, and then Ghost Rider shows up, 
And he's like, I can smell that evil wizard all over you. And he just like grabs him with a chain, starts dragging him along the side of the building. He's like, where is he? And earth. So it's just a typical, it's like, you know, you don't talk, you just act. Hero fighting hero. It's just, it's a, it's a bit much. And then something happens at the end. It's like, what? Which, you know, it's, it was going to happen eventually. So, <laughs> spoiler. Uh, then we have Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters, issue one. So this is Charles Soule and Steve McNiven and Luke Ross. Uh, so basically, someone stole Han Solo frozen a carbonite from, from Boba Fett. You know, he needed the carbonite to get fixed, so he goes to this dude, and he has no money. So the dude's like, okay, you need to kill this woman for me, and we're even. And she's in, you know, she's in this tournament thing, so you just enter the tournament, work your way up. I'll pay for you to go in, in, in a tournament. You can defeat her, win, you'll even get some, you know, a prize, cash prize, and then you can get Han Solo fixed and everything. But then he comes back. And the dude's dead, and someone stole Han Solo. So now Boba Fett is ticked off. This is what happened prior to this. Someone stole from Boba Fett. They stole Han Solo from him. And Jabba's like, you know, dude, where is Boba Fett? So he's not happy. So they, uh, Boba Fett, or not Boba Fett, Jabba, pretty sure it was Jabba, decides to put a bounty out on Boba Fett because he thinks that Boba Fett is trying to sell Han Solo to someone else, like trying to get more money. He's like, no, he, you're supposed to get him for me. So there's like an open bounty on Boba Fett, and everyone's like, dude, Boba Fett, where? <laughs> and because like Zuckus and it's weird, they, they always say like four alone, but I always, I always thought it was four long because it's, it's four dash L O M or L zero M. Is it zero or O? But four alone, I always say four. Anyways, so Boba Fett goes against them, and then he finds out Jabba's involvement and everything. But then Jabba's not at the palace because he got an invitation from the people, I'm spoiling too much, from the people who stole Han Solo. And I'm not going to spoil who. When, once it started going on, as I was like, I wonder if they're going to use this person. And they did. And I think it's pretty cool. I, I think it's really cool. I think it's, it's super duper cool. And I think it's about time. So that's all I'm going to say. So if you've read it, if you're reading this, this uh, War of Bounty Hunters, uh, I'm, I'm really excited because I, I can't say anymore. Maybe after the next issue, I, 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 we can spoil things, but I don't want to spoil it right in the first week. And then, uh, then the last issue is X-Force, issue 20. And this is more about the guy. Maybe this is what I'm thinking about. Yeah, I think here we see more of, yeah, because I'm looking at the preview pages on the Marvel app where Iron Man comes and he's just being a jerk to, because like he refused to go through a gate and and Quentin's like, you know, we have a fragile e e ecosystem here and you're just like landing in and he's like, well, I'm not going to go through a portal where I don't know the technology and so just different things like that. But it's basically more of the same thing where, uh, it turns out that, I don't know if the Beast, they're trying to manipulate some of the other dignitaries. Because, like, everyone's invited to this gala. Like, all these human other people. So, uh, they're trying to put, like, these plant bugs on, on them, which doesn't seem right. So, there's some crazy things. But it's just, what the thing I like is, like, Emma has, like, th at least three different costumes. You know, she keeps doing, like, costume changes and everything. So she's probably loving the gala. You know, this is what what she's made for. So I just, other than that, I don't really know to understand the point of the gala and 
Uh, if this is it, because I feel like there's been a lot of buildup, and yeah, we had three different issues this week, but it's like that is it because they they even put out that whole that one issue that has like the character the costume designs of everyone and it's like we hardly even like some of the people we hardly even see but there you go so that's that's it um that's that's gonna be comics for the week i i feel like i i don't did i skip anything i hope not all right here we go mayor of east town episode seven it's it's not just season one episode. It's the only season. So there will not be any more Mayor of Easttown. This is it. It's done because she dies at the end. I'm just kidding. She does die. But they've made it clear that uh, just when they were going into the show that they had the ending in mind. And you do get a lot of closure. I mean, you see where a lot of characters are going and, and so forth. And so, yeah, just major closure. So, um, it's a heavy episode. It, it gets emotional, and this has been an amazing show. I mean, everyone all, all around, not just Kate Winslet. I mean, she was awesome, but it's just it's such a good show. So, I'm ho- I hope you've been watching it and not just listening to me talk about all the spoilers and everything. It starts off, Mare's headed towards where John and Billy are at the river. She's walking along. And uh, Chief's at the station, and he's like, has there been any contact with Mayor? But they haven't been able to contact her because you know, they're, they're calling her, the radio in her car, and she's obviously not in there. So then uh, Chief goes back to Jess and her mom, and, and we see what was this thing that she had? What was this? It was a picture. And so we see the picture. It's a picture of Aaron sitting in bed next to John while he's sleeping. And it looks like she's not wearing anything, like she has a sheet pulled up. So it wasn't Billy. <laughs> or at least that's what this picture makes it look like. So it's like, what's going on? So then a chief, he's like, does Dylan know that John Ross is DJ's real father? And Jess is like, no, because she hid the picture from them. And he asks again, he's like, why'd you burn the journals? And she's like, it was my idea. I, I thought that if the police found them, there might be something written in there. And it's, you know, something like who's DJ's real father was. And Dylan's parents wanted to keep DJ. It would break their hearts if he got taken away. The chief says um, that was Dylan's reason, but what was yours? And she says she thought that it's what Aaron would have wanted. So she was just trying to honor her friend. It's like, eh, okay. So then we see John. He's sitting next to, uh, here. he's sitting on a rock next to the tackle box. He opens it up and he sees a gun in there. He's like not even surprised by it. So it's like, did he know about it? It was there all the time. And he takes it out and he starts walking towards Billy because Billy's, you know, just like standing in the river, like fishing. And then he, he turns around and he sees John. And he's like, so that's why you wanted to bring me here, huh? To make it look like I blew my brains out. And John's like, it's the only way that I could be sure. And then Billy points his forehead. He's like, okay, then right here, John. He's like, everyone thinks I've done it anyways. No one's going to miss an F up like me. And John's like, I'm sorry. Billy's like, don't be. He's like, you'll be doing me a favor. He's like, you have a family. I have nobody. He's like, it, it's what I want. And he's yelling, and Mary can hear them. So she's like hurrying down there. And John's like holding the gun, and he can't do it. And uh, then Mare, she, you know, she sees, I think she might be on like the opposite side and she like yells, you know, she takes her gun out, which, you know, we don't really see Mare with, with a gun, although, you know, she did shoot the, the guy that kidnapped the ladies, but she's like, she's like, put the gun down. You said, put the effing gun down. 
and uh, John debates like what's to do, and then he, he points a gun to his head, and Billy gets, struggles, knocks him down. You know, they they like go over, and, and, and the water's not that deep, but then uh, you know the gun falls, and Mayor like reaches them, and you know knocks the gun away. Billy's like, "I didn't do it, Mayor," and then John's like, "Just effing kill me, Mayor. Just please effing kill me." So John wants to die now. He wants he wants Mayor to to, to kill him. So Mayor, um, she's in her office, she's drying off, whatever, and she's trying to blow dry her cast, whatever. And the chief comes in and says that, you know, just came into station earlier with the picture that she found. And he asked Mayor if she's all right. And she's like, not really. But the chief's like, but you're going to survive. So now John's being interrogated by Mayor and Chief. And he's they're like, you know, when did you start having a sexual relationship with Eric McMiniman? And John's like, it was at the family reunion at the lake late one night you know billy had been drinking all afternoon he was rowdy so john went to check on him and he was sharing a cabin with kenny and aaron kenny and billy were passed out and aaron was just sitting on on the front porch so they started talking and you know because she couldn't sleep or whatever so they ended up talking all night and they kissed and that's when they started hanging out Mayor asks, started having sex? And John looks at her. He's like, it wasn't just sex, okay? He's like, yes, there was sex, but we were both having a hard time. She was having problems at home, and, you know, things with, with me and Lori weren't great. You know, it was like we could confide in each other, like, the way we couldn't with others. You know, we had a connection. Then she got pregnant. He's like, I asked her to get an abortion, but she wouldn't. You know, she was dating Dylan at the time, so they, you know, figured let Dylan assume he was a dad. And then Chief asks him, he's like, walk us through the night of January 10th. So John's like, I was at Forest Lodge at Frank's engagement party. Aaron called him a bunch of time, and Mary cuts him off here. She's like, there weren't any calls made to your number. He's, you know, not, not in her cell records. And John, see, this doesn't make sense. Because John says, okay, here it is. Because John says that um, they had prepaid phones that they would use so they could talk without Lori knowing. And she knew not to call his regular line, but that night she did. So she must have called from a prepaid phone. Okay. And so she was upset. She said she was going to tell Lori everything if he didn't meet up with her. So he went to the park. And she was there. She was angry. Um, she wanted him to pay for the ear surgery. He tried reasoning, said that you know he'd get the money as soon as he could. But she was just like over it. So she was done with all his lies. She had a gun and was waving it around. She's yelling how he ruined her life. That, you know, she was going to shoot herself right there. And, you know, he said he never saw her like that before. He didn't know if she was going to do it. So he tried wrestling the gun away from her. It went off and hit her hand, which I guess would explain why her finger, whatever was there, like a piece of her finger. And there was like blood everywhere. She was just screaming. He panicked and then he shot her. And Mary's like, where did you shoot her? And he whispers in the face. So he says he dragged her body into the woods. He cleaned up. And then he drove back to the lodge. And he had to take Frank and Faye home so that he had an alibi. And he called Billy. And they put her body in the back of his truck. Mayor asks why they went all the way out to Sharps Woods. And, you know, Aaron, he said Aaron had been there earlier that night with some some kids. So Mayor says, like, oh, so you figured that maybe, you know, people would think that one of them did it. And then she's like, she asks, she's like, did Lori know? And there's a pause. He says that he convinced her to lie to Mayor for him to tell her it was Billy that killed Aaron. So Mayor goes home, showers. And then she goes uh, visit Deacon Mark at the whatever where he's locked up. And uh, she says that John Ross confessed to killing Aaron. 
She called the DA's office and asked him to withdraw charges against him. The only crime he committed was lying about Aaron's bike. And he says that he wished he would have stopped her when you because he she was in his car. She's like, when she got out of the car, I should have grabbed her, told her not to go to the park. Maris says that, you know, she doesn't say anything about that. But she's like, you know, wherever you go after this, she's like, I hope they treat you better than we did. And he's like, I don't have anywhere else to go. He's like, East Town's my home. So John is taken to the courthouse. He's like in a orange jumpsuit. Reporters are, why'd you do it? What about, you know, all this stuff, yelling. Judge reaches its charges. Um, if he's found guilty, it'll be a criminal homicide. If he intentionally, knowingly, recklessly, or negligently caused the death of another human being. So after this, um, out like sort of like the lobby area, Lori is told she gets two minutes to talk to him. John thanks her for agreeing to see him. He says he knows he has no right to do it, but he asks her if she'll take DJ in, raise him, give him a good life. And he, he's like, you know, I had no choice. And, you know, he's my son. You know, can you do that? Mayor, um, she looks at Lori from like across the lobby, but she, she doesn't say anything to her. So news on John's, <laughs> this, this is kind of a funny moment. It's on the news about his arraignment, whatever. Helen's in the kitchen drinking with uh, Dan, Mayor's cousin, the other deacon or whatever. And they hear Merrick turn in. So she's like, oh, God, turn off the TV. So she doesn't hear that. And, and as she gets up from the table to, to go to the counter where there's like a little whatever, you know, tablet where they're watching it, she falls on the floor. <laughs> and Merrick comes. She's like, what are you doing now? And she's like, you know, how, how many drinks have you had or whatever? And, you know, Helen asks if she saw Lori at the courthouse and how she's holding up. Mayor's like, I didn't talk to her. And Helen's like, can you imagine what she's going through? And Mary's like, she lied to me, mom. And you know, she she obstructed a murder investigation. You know, she looked me in the eye and said it was Billy when she knew it was John. And you know, Mary's but Helen's like, well, yeah, but you can imagine Mary's like, I'm not gonna have this conversation if you're gonna be taking her side. Helen's like, I always have your side, you know. So Mary uh, checks on Drew. Um, you know, he's whatever, fine. Then Saban comes into Mary's room and asks how she's doing. Then Mayor asks her, you know, when were you going to let me know about Berkeley? And because apparently she told Frank and, you know, Frank was excited and told her. Saban says that she's like, well, I, I don't think I'm going to go anyways. And Mayor's like, okay. And Saban's like, what does that mean? Mayor's like, it's your life. She, and Saban's like, well, you know, maybe you could be my mom for a second and give me some advice. Mayor's like, I think you should go. And she's like, are you sure you're all right? And she's like, you know, maybe I just need a vacation. Saban's like, that's a you're a bad liar. She's like you love East Town and it's a better place because you're you're here. So she's like good night. So Mary's like you should go. You know, the next day Mary goes to the station. Katie, so Katie is Don's daughter who was abducted for a year. She's taken to a house. I wasn't sure if it was Freddie's house, Beth's um, brother who who died. And they're like, welcome to your new home. And she's like, I don't understand. And you know, Don's like, you know, a lot of people love you. So I think a bunch of people pitched in. So she could have the house live there with her daughter. Um, Jess is looking at home. You know, we kind of just like kind of jump around. Jess is looking at pictures of her and Aaron. Uh, Drew, Mary, and Helen are later in a bedroom. And like uh, Drew's like, what's that under there? And Helen's like, underwear. And like, you said underwear. Ha, 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 ha. So whatever. So it's, it's like, you know, things are moving along. Then we see Lori sitting in a doctor's office with DJ and she's just like in a in a daze. You know, DJ's uh, just sitting in a car seat. He's like crying. He's like just fussing, and she's just zoning out until like the nurse knocks on the door, 
And she she's like, is this your son? And she's like, yes. So then you can see, um, she's like, is everything right? And he you know, looks at like his file and so they're at a surgery center. So they're like, okay, he'll have a surgery and he should be fine. Uh, at a, meet, a meeting room in a court, uh, Frank and Mara are there. Their lawyer asks uh, Carrie's lawyer or something like that. She's like, you know, does your client know to, you know, we're going to be starting a mediation process? You know, she's, you know, it was supposed to start 20 minutes ago. And the lawyer's like, well, I, you know, I can't get a hold of her. You know, I'll try again. Then Mara's phone buzzes and she like looks at it. She excuses herself to go to the bathroom or whatever. She carries down in the lobby. And Mara, you know, comes down the stairs. She's like, what's going on? She's like, the, the mediator is pretty pissed off. Carrie's like, I can't take him. She's like, it's not that I, I don't want to. It's just, and Mara's like, how long have you been using? And Carrie's like, a few months. She's like, it started because I needed to stay awake. And lately it's just gotten worse. And she's like, I bet you're pretty happy to hear all this. And Mara's like, I'm, I'm happy if Drew is taken care of. And if that means he's staying with us, yeah, I'm happy. Then Carrie's like, you know, I, I can't do anything right. Mary's like, that's not true. And Carrie's like, you know, I tried this time. She's like, you know, could you tell him that I'm sick so he doesn't think that I, I don't want him? And she's like, yeah, I'm all, I've made arrangements. I'm going to drive to the facility from here. You know, I, I already set it up. And Mary says something. She's like, I, I know, I know you love him. And then Carrie's like, I got him. She gives him a bag. There's like a star projector, something like that. She's like, I got him new one because he said his other one broke. And she gets him and leaves. So uh, then we see Mare is out with like Helen Frank and Faye and Sabander like at a restaurant. There's like, you know, an arcade room you know, next to it. And uh, they're, they're talking about Frank's choices in tuxedos. And they're all like all laughing at like what he, cho- he chose because he, he says he wants it to be memorable or whatever. Then Mare sees Sandra Elliott enter, and she's like, she's the one that John was having an affair with. And she comes in with, like, a husband and a kid. So Helen asks Frank if he's been to see John. He's like, no. And, you know, he's like, you know, what, what bothers me is when he drove me and Faye home that night, he was telling stories and singing and laughing. He's like, to do what he did and act like nothing happened? He's like, like who, who does that? So then Drew comes up to Helen, and he's like, can you fix my Band-Aid? And, you know, he does it. And, you know, when he goes back... Uh, Mare's like, you know, she's looking. She's like, if that was me, you would have told me to shut up and fix it myself. And Helen's like, yeah, I was angry. She's like, I took it out on you. You know, I was angry at my husband. You know, he wasn't who I thought I, I married. Then Mare's, you know, she's like getting like teary. Mare's like, that's I forgive you. And and Helen's like, yeah, I already forgave myself. And you know, she's just crying. And she's like, that's what you have to do about Kevin. She's like, you know, it wasn't your fault. And you know, she's saying all stuff. So then Mary gets up and she has to go to, to the bathroom. You know, just uh, she's starting to get emotional too, thinking about Kevin. On her way out of the bathroom, she, um, Sandra's like coming out. She's like, oh, hey, Mary. And Mary's like, F off. And she's like, what? And Mary comes back. She's like, does your husband know that you're screwing John Ross again? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, I made a mistake five years ago. She's like, I, went, I made a mistake and I went back to my husband. She's like, that's the truth. So then Mary's watching John's interrogation and, you know, cause she had asked him about the gun, you know, like, and he doesn't really remember much about the gun, but she's like, well, you knew you held it, you used it. And then, uh, the chief, t- t- you know, comes in, he says he got off the phone with the DA, uh, since he cooperated, Billy Ross is going to be on parole next June. So he thought that she might want to know. Then she's like, Hey, what can you tell me about that ballistics guy I used? And she's like, oh, he's the best. He's like, you know, I'd use him all the time if I could because they use him from some other whatever department. And he's like, um, but you can tell something's bothering her. So Dylan, uh, then he goes to Lori's. So it's like, oh, man, because, you know, Lori has 
his uh who he thought was his son Lori's son answers the door and, and Lori tells him to go upstairs and then he asks her he's like did you know he was his son and Lori's like no then dylan asks about the ear surgery you know then he says i've been meaning to, to bring this over and he has some money he's like maybe you know you can buy him something or put it in a bank account for later and she's like you don't have to do that and then he gives her another envelope he's like this is from his real mom and it's aaron's envelope the money that he took from her hiding place it says like you know ear surgery money or whatever and then he leaves so as crappy as a person as dylan is at least you know he didn't he could have kept the money that he took from aaron especially now you know it's not his kid ear surgery is already done he could have kept it he gives it and not only does he give aaron's money back he had saved some money too so he does care about the kid that's a uh, that's pretty good then then it cuts it jumps forward it's like you know, we're at Faye and frank's wedding reception uh saban's singing pat benatar's we belong and uh richard comes up to mary's like oh you got to dance to this song so they, they start dancing and everything like that it cuts the next day mary wakes up and she, you know there's no one next to her she looks out the window mary's like loading up his car with bags and she's like how come i've never even heard of bates college and he's like well i'll call you you know when i get settled and you know we can get a beer and she's like why do you have to leave now you know he's like you know it's only a year contract and she's like well, you know what's gonna happen with us and he's like i don't know you know he's like all the best things in my life came unexpectedly you know my book my son you he's like you know i don't want to lose that so they've you know they're together but unfortunately he has to he's taken another job for a year because that's you know, his job at the university was probably temporary. So now he's got another temp job. So that, that stinks. I don't, hopefully, I don't know how far they are from each other, but we'll see. Or actually, we'll never know. <laughs> then Mary gets a call from Mr. Carroll. So that's the old man uh, with the, the security footage. You know, people kept coming. His wife died. Uh, so he wants Mary to come over. So she goes over there. He lets her in. And he sees that there's like food left out on plates. Everything's like, it's kind of nasty. Not that bad, but Mary's like, is everything all right? And he's like, no. He's like, ever since Betty passed away, he's like, I can't keep things together. And uh, he mentions, he's like, you know, you lost your son recently, which it's like, geez, and you bring this up. He's like, does it get any easier? And uh, she just kind of, you know, thinks, she's like, it's like, no. She's like, but after a while, you learn to live with the unacceptable you know and stuff like that then he asks uh about her mother <laughs> and you know it's like you know does, does she talk about me or whatever so mayor's like why'd you call me here and he says that since his wife has passed things have been disappearing you know there's like a cop a pizza slicer his gun and so she's like okay so she's gonna you know write a police report but he's like but the gun isn't missing anymore he's like the morning that we called you you know the gun was in the shed but that night i heard something I went out to get it and it was gone, but now it's back. So she's like, what kind of gun was it? You know what it is, right? He's like, it was a cult detective special. And she's like, can I take a look at it? And then he's like, yeah. He's like, and the strange thing is there's two rounds missing. So she's like, who had access to the shed? And he's like, no one except for me and the kid who cuts the lawn. So Mary's like, who cuts the lawn? Ryan Ross. So Mayor runs into the house, looks at the security footage, sees a kid at night enter the shed, puts a gun, puts like, you, you can barely see, but he, obviously he's putting the gun like in his back, in his pocket, whatever, gets on his bike. And she Mayor's like gasping. So Mayor goes to the school, 
so Ryan is John and Lori's son. She goes over to school. She sees Ryan on the playground. He, uh, he's looking and he sees her just like standing. And then he like starts running. He like hops the fence and runs. And they're like, hey, Ryan, where are you going? So Mary goes in the car. She has to call it in. Ryan runs home. He's like, mom, it's Mary. She knows. She's on her way here. She knows. She knows. And he starts like crying in her arm. So then we see Mare and, and a bunch of police are driving over there. Mare gets out of the car. She's like, no one gets in front of me. And I mean, there's like so many like cop cars behind her. So Mare slowly walks in. She just like walks in the house. Lori is sitting holding Ryan. So they're doing some questioning. And Mare's like, you understand you don't have to talk to us, Ryan, right? And he's like, I just want to get this over with. So he's like, I knew about my dad's relationship with Aaron. I found text messages on his phone one day and I confronted him. He said it was a mistake and Ryan promised that he'd keep it a secret if he ended it. You know, he just wanted to keep their family together after what happened the first time with the other affair. So Ryan uh, thought the, the relationship was over. Then that night they were over at Frank's house. So we see a flashback. His dad goes out on the phone. He's like yelling obviously at Aaron about, about being a child and he shouldn't be calling that phone. So then Ryan apparently checked his phone later and there was a text that says to meet at the park at midnight. So Ryan replied, I'll be there. He, he must've deleted it or something like that. Cause uh, John probably never saw it. So then he, when he got home, he took his bike. He went to Mr. Carroll's house to get the gun. And Mary's like, how did you know about the gun? She's like, I, I'm always lawn every summer. So I, I saw it before. And so he got back on his bike, went to the park, and he waited for her. Then we see in a flashback again, she gets out of Deacon's car. He's telling her, he's like, Aaron, get back in. I'll drive you home. And she's yelling at him. She's like, just go, whatever. So Ryan's like kind of hiding. Aaron comes. She sits on a bench. And you know, then Ryan's talking. He's like, I just wanted to scare her, tell her to stay away from my family. She's like, I never meant to. And then Mary's like, what happened next? So then we see him, he gets up and he yells, he's like, stay away from my family. He's like, why, you know, why are you doing this? And he's like holding the gun out. He's like, I swear I was only trying to scare her. And, and then she tried to get the gun away from me and we fought over it and it goes off. And then uh, it goes off like a couple of times. He's like, I shot her. So then we see him drag her body and he says he took the gun. He rode back to uh, Mr. Carroll's house, put the gun back and Mayor asked why he thought to do that he said he he's he heard that you know if you try to find try to hide a gun or something that people find it so he figured if he put it back no one would know it was ever gone so then after that he got scared and called his dad dad said him and uncle billy sorted it all out and it was a secret and they couldn't tell anyone ever so mayor asked Lori, you know she's if you know th this had anything to do with sandra or sandra or whatever and Lori's like, I, you know, I saw him struggling. You know, he got in a fight at school and he was sobbing. So that was when he was protecting his sister from the bullies. And, you know, she's like, the only other time I saw him that upset is when he found out about the affair. So she's like, I asked him if it was the same woman and he just said, yeah. But Mare asked, like, you know, she's like, when did you know? And Lori says, John told her that morning when she came over, the morning they went up to Pat's fishing cabin. She agreed to lie to protect her son. And she's like, and I would have taken it to my grave if Mayor hadn't shown up at the house today or that day. So Mayor asks Ryan if there's anything else that he wants to tell him. And he's like, just that I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for everything I did. And Mayor just looks at Lori. So it's like, eek. So Ryan is put in the back of a police car. Mayor tells him that they're taking him to a juvenile facility. And when he gets there, they're going to get his fingerprints and things like that. When he gets settled, you know, he'll get to call his mom and sister. 
And um, she's like, you know, you're going to be okay. And then, you know, we see Lori, she's in her car, she's sobbing. Mary gets in, gets in the passenger seat. And it's just like, oh, things are like really tense. So it's like silent. And Mary tries talking to her and like putting her hand out. And she's like, don't touch me. She's like, don't you effing touch me. And Lori's like, she's like, what? why didn't you come to me? Why couldn't you just leave it alone? It's like, you had John. She yells, she's like, it's Ryan. It's my Ryan. It's like, it was an accident. He doesn't even know how to hold a gun. It's like, why couldn't you just leave him alone? It's like, my whole family is gone now. And she's like, get away from me. She's like, I don't ever want to see you again. Get away. Get the F out of my car. And so she finally gets out and, and Lori just drives away. Then we see Mary at the therapist and, um, her therapist asks if she's tried to reach out to Lori since Ryan's arrest. Mary says she's tried to call and text, but she doesn't want to talk to her. And um, does she wants to know, does she think she's mad at her? Because if she hadn't solved the case, she'd still have Ryan or something like that. She mentions how uh, the therapist says how Mary is always throwing herself into cases to avoid her problems. She's like, are you ready to face them now? So then we see later Lori's visiting Ryan and asks how school work's going. And he seems to be doing okay. He's like pretty good. He says he has a writing class that he likes a lot. His sister is there. She made a card for him for his birthday. And, you know, Ryan says, thanks. Lori asks if he wants to say hi to his brother. And we see DJ. He's smiling. And he's like, hi, DJ. So DJ's in better speaking. He's got his ear surgery. So he's not, you know, fussing. He's not in pain. He's, and the fact that she says, you want to say hi to your brother. So at least there's been some closure with all of this, we, we assume. Then uh, um, we see Saban, she's getting ready to leave. Um, they're saying goodbyes, like out in, in front of the house. She's apparently driving out. Frank's there, you know, Helen and Drew and everything is very emotional. Then it cuts to the church. Deacon Mark is talking to the, the congregation. He says that he knows seeing him up there is uncomfortable for many you know some have been supported he says it's taken him eight months because obviously so we're like in like august now or so because you know with saban going to school and all that he says it's taken him eight months to gather the courage to stand before them all again he says that you know he feels that they've come out of a tunnel and they're ready to heal you know there, there are some members of their you know community who haven't made it through the ravages of the past year you know some people blame themselves for you know things that have happened he's like our job is only to love them, to go to them. He's like, they'll push you away and they'll say they don't deserve your mercy, but don't let them do that. So it's like, you know, we need to be there for each other. Then we see Helen and Drew are watching cartoons. Mara says she's going to go get some air. So she goes outside. She walks over to Lori's and she just walks in. So Moira, Ryan's sister, she's like, hi, hi, Mara. And Lori's in the living room. So Mara comes in. She's like, hey. And Lori's like, hey. She asks Mara if she wants the tea. So it's like, okay, they haven't talked in how long? So then Lori's kind of pausing at the stove, and Mara gets closer to her. Puts her hand on her shoulder, and there's kind of like a shudder, but Lori doesn't shrug it off or anything like that. She turns around, and she finally looks Mara in the face, and Mara just hugs her, and Lori hugs her back, and she starts crying. And then they, you know, they're holding each other, and they both kind of like fall to the floor. You know, Mara keeps holding her, and she just whispers, she's like, I'm here. So then um, we see like her lying in bed with Drew while he sleeps. You know, she slowly gets up, goes out in the hall, opens the attic, the ladder to the attic, slowly goes up, and then the camera just pulls back down the hall. So she's finally going to, you know, she hasn't been up there since, you know, Kevin committed suicide. So she's finally going to go up there and kind of make peace and, and face it and just deal with it.
And that's how it ends. So it's like, whoa. And I, I think for me, just, I, you know, being a parent, so, you know, it might be different, if, you know, if you don't have, I'm not trying to, you know, say, you know, you don't know anything, but I think just the idea of having, you know, that your kid could be so troubled or whatever to go through it, it's like, that's the worst nightmare any parent could have. You know, that's the last thing you ever want, you know, to think could happen or, you know, anything, any harm to, you, to your child. So I just seeing that, seeing Mirror, just the idea of her having to deal with that, it's just, it's just really hard for me. So it just makes it, you know, a little more impactful, more emotional and everything like that. So that, that was a, that's a season. That's, that's the episode. And, uh, I mean, it was just brilliant. And while, you know, it would be cool to see Mare in action again, solving another case or crime or anything like that. But I kind of like that. They're just like one and done. Like, that's it. Boom. We, we told the story, you know, we love these characters and all that, but you know, that's it. We're, you know, we're, we had our, our strong story. We're going to go high because they could try it again and it, maybe it wouldn't be as good. And plus with everything that they did, I mean, they, they kind of pulled out all the stops to, to really go, you know, to hit all the marks that they wanted to. So, you know, it, it, it was an amazing show. So I'm so glad that I, that I watched it. You know, if it wasn't for Kate Winslet, I probably would be like, what, what is this? I mean, maybe I would have still checked it out, but it was just amazing. And it's just, just a, like everyone, like with the dialects, you know, there's, there's like special features after, you know, like Saban, I didn't realize she had an accent. And it's like, and you know, her, the mom. And so just great job all around. So it, yeah, you should definitely watch it. Tell your, if your friends to watch it, if they haven't seen it, cause it's just a brilliant show. Okay, Cruel Summer, Season 1, Episode 8, Proof. So things are finally uh, kind of heating up. You know, we're at the point in 94 where Kate enters uh, Martin Harris's house, and this is going to lead to her abduction. The problem, though, like this episode, we don't see her. It's like she's barely, she's like hardly even in, in it. So this is like the second time that... We, we don't get like an Olivia Holt um, episode. And it's, it's kind of a bummer because I, I, I mean, obviously she's the reason I'm watching the show, uh, you know, after Cloak and Dagger and everything. But it, it's just weird that this is uh, this, this show is about her for the most part, like her and Jeanette. And she's hardly even in here. So it's like we don't get to see what happens to her in any of the three years, which is just odd. So this week, the events that are about to unfold take place on approximately August 30th, 1993, 1994, 1995. So this is the next day from last episode. Last episode was August 29th. So it's, it's, it starts out in 94. Greg, uh, Jeanette's dad, asks, asks, is talking to her about the key. And he's like, so you only used it once. She's like, I already told you a bunch of time, which is a bunch of lies. And that's the thing that really makes me not like Jeanette. The fact that she is flat out totally and completely lying because she's been there. We saw her when she snuck in there when the, what's her name's Tanil's mom was, was over there. So she's totally lying. And, you know, she went over there. She stole the yearbook. Uh, so he says that he's trying to figure out this one out since she's been lying to his face when he told her mother that they could trust her word. And then she, Jeanette's like, is mom coming home soon? And he's like, I'm working on it. So she says again, she's like, 
We only use a key one time for stupid immature list item last summer when you're we playing hide and seek. And he's, and he's like, and you stole it from my office? He's like, do you understand? He's like, I could have been fired from this. And she's like, I'm sorry, it was dumb. And she's like, you know, we just broke in and played hide and seek and that's it. Which again is just such lies. And he's like, you never went back. And she's like, no. He, and he's like, if the police find out from Mallory or Vince, it could look really bad. And she's like, I know, you know, it keeps me up at night. And he's like, well, then that's why you need to tell them yourself. He's like, today after school, it, you know, it's for your own good. She's like, you need to go to the police and tell them. And she just walks out of the room because she's a little annoying baby brat. In 93, so back a year, Jeanette got her braces off. And her mom's like, oh, it's, you know, everyone's going to notice her. And she's like, oh, no, they're, you know, it's the first day of school. No one's going to notice and whatever. You know, they got other things to focus on. 95, Jeanette gives a printout. So Jeanette's brother got, he printed, somehow prints out the entire private chat conversation between Jeanette and her sister about all this stuff. So they, they, they give it to the lawyer. And Jeanette's like, I think I found a bullet like you asked. And this one might be silver. And the lawyer looks, she's like, what am I looking at? She's like, it's a private online chat between Kate Wallace and her older sister who's pretending to be someone else. And Jeanette's dad's there too, and he's like smiling. But it's like, okay, the, okay anyways, let's hang on. So the lawyer's like, okay. And the dad's like, it's about how Kate ended up in Martin Harris's basement. Jeanette's like, Kate Wallace went to Martin Harris's house willingly. The lawyer's like, oh, this is not, a, not the narrative she presented on the record. It's glaring inconsistency in Kate's story. And she's like, it, it could demonstrate that Kate has bent the truth. And Jeanette says, Kate won't contribute to a narrative that paints her as anything less than a saint, when in reality, she's a huge liar. And now we have proof. Which, again, who's the big liar? And even so, it's like the fact is, it doesn't matter if she walked into the house and and maybe we don't know the full conversation. You know, maybe she said that she wanted to be there. Maybe she, you know, we don't know all that. But the fact is she was kept there. She was locked in a basement. Whether she entered willingly or not, that doesn't mean she's like, sure, lock me in your basement. That's totally cool. Do who knows what else to me. You know, we don't know what else happened. You know, were, was there any sexual stuff going on? I really hope not, but... I, I don't know. And that that's what creeps me out even more. So it's just, it's so annoying. And the fact that it's like, they don't care that she was abducted. It's just like all about this. So then 94, Vince is like taking pictures of Jeanette in the car and the parking lot and, and, you know, they're in the minivan. And she's like, oh, because it's his new hobby or something like that. And, you know, taking candid pictures and, you know, she's nervous and everything about going in. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, eyes might be on you today because of the rumors, but like, you know, about Kate, but tomorrow, you know, it'll probably be about someone else and everything like that. So, you know, it's like high school. So, you know, things change from day to day. And she, then she asks him, she's like, well, how's it going to feel being a non-couple couple with Ben at school? And he's like, it's going to be mad weird. But then he's like, oh, you're changing the subject or something like that. And then he's, Vince is like, it's weird that your mom didn't take the minivan. And Jeanette's like, Cindy didn't take a lot of things. You know, Jeanette is calling her mom by by her name. And then um, inside, you know, some girls are like looking at Ben or whatever. Then they, they see Jeanette like walk in. They're like, look who just rolled in from Loser Island. Or is it Juvie? <laughs> and Jamie's like looking at, at Jeanette too. So he must still have feelings for her, I guess. 93, uh, Jeanette's mom, Cindy, drops her off at school. Vince and Mallory come up to her and Mallory's like, 
Are you seriously still carrying around Kate Scrunchy? Because Jeanette's wearing it on her wrist. And Jeanette, pow- she's like, I'm, I'm just trying to remember to give it back. Jeez. And she takes off, puts it in her backpack. And Mallory's like, that's what you said when you wore it to the mall and to the movies and to the roller rink, as if we'd ever just run into Kate Wallace. She's like, it's weird, Jeanette. And she's like, well, you're making it weird. And then Martin Harris shows up. He's like, welcome. He's like, it's going to be a great year. Let's go inside. So, uh, yeah, this is 93. So this is... Um, this is the next day. So Kate is now locked up in his house. And it's the first day of school. Okay, in 93. Get that straight. <laughs> I got to get that straight. 95, the mom is sitting with Jeanette in a coffee shop. So, you know, she left. And, you know, so now she's seeing her. Uh, she got her, like, this bracelet. She's like, I picked it up, for, you know, when I was out shopping in Paris. And she's like, do you like it? And Jeanette's like, you were shopping in Paris while I was riding here in Skyland. I guess Skyland's the name of her town. And, and her mom was like, it was, it was for work because she said she wanted to be a stewardess or whatever, or a flight attendant. And Jeanette like, cuts her off, and she's like, um, well, I have to register for my GED, so if you have anything, anything to say, just say it. So she, apparently she dropped out of high school. And um, her mom's like, I still can't believe that you, know, you, you did that, that your dad let you. And Jeanette's like, it's funny how you miss things when you abandon your family, Cindy. And her mom's like, it's mom. Jeanette's like, it's whatever I want it to be if you want to keep me sitting in here. And so she's like, you're still mad at me? She's like, I was mad when you packed up for your aunt, whatever her name was, with, without any warning. And then when you forced a visitation on me. And then her, she's like, her mom's like, do you hate me? And Jeanette's kind of like paused, just kind of speechless. And she's like, no. And then her mom's like, thank God. She's like, but I want you to think about the lawsuit. She's like, I know you don't want my advice. And that you're really mad at the world right now. But when you look back on your life, how are you going to feel about having sued a kidnapping victim? And Jeanette looks at her. She's like, wow, you're still on a Wallace's side? And she's like, no, I just you know, don't want you to have any regrets. She's like, the lawsuit is a no-win situation for you. She's like, it's a hard truth that you need to hear, and your dad won't. And she's like, no. She's like, you don't get to say anything about dad. He's not perfect, but at least he stayed. And then she gets up and leaves. And then she comes back, and she takes, takes a bracelet. Because you know, she's probably like going to sell it or something because you know, she's just a, a big jerk. Um, then I guess it's still in 95. Jamie is like at the, the bar, at Angela's bar, like trying to get a job or something like that. And she comes out like with his ID. She's like, sorry, you know, it's a liability to have someone with a record working at a place that deals with cash and alcohol. He's like, oh, no, it's fine, whatever. And so she's like, well, good luck. 95. Um, it's still 95? Yeah. So to, Or is it 94. No, it must be 94. The girls are excited that Kate is going to be on the Marsha Bailey show. They're like, she's so lucky. And <laughs> Jamie's like, I don't know if, if lucky is the right word. And then one of the girls, uh, Renee, she asked Ben, she's like, you want to go to movies on Friday? He's like, oh, with the, with the crew? And she's like, no, just us. He's like, uh, I need to focus on training, whatever, you know. And he's like, sorry. And then, you know, so she, he basically is like, nope. <laughs> and she's like hurt by that. And then the, the funny thing is Jeanette like walks by because it's like, you know, at lunch or sitting outside. And then you know, Renee yells, what are you looking at, creep? <laughs> and then Jeanette just like rushes off. <laughs> and it's mean, but it's funny because I don't like Jeanette. <laughs> then in 95, Jeanette's like in the street, like walking to the minivan. And there's a photographer like trying to take her picture. And then Jamie shows up and he wants to talk. And she's like, I need, you know, need to get out of here before this one reporter and more will come. And he's like, well, can, would you consider just, you know, coming to my garage later so we can talk? Because he wants to say something to her. 93, Mallory meets with Vincent 
uh, or Jeanette meets with Vincent and Mallory. I guess it's like after third period because they're like, we've survived three periods, whatever. Mallory takes out this videotape. She says it's a prank tape. She's like the last item on the list. And Jeanette's like, are we still doing that? And Vincent says, if we pull this off, we could be legends. And Jeanette says, uh, or Mallory says that she'll sneak into the AV room during lunch while everyone's outside. And Jeanette and Vincent will be the lookout. Jeanette tries saying, she's like, that the list is a summer thing and summer's over. And Mallory's like, it's not over until every item is complete. So then uh, while they're outside, Jeanette kind of sits close to Jamie, Ben, and the two girls. And then someone asks, has anyone seen Kate today? And they're like, no. They're like, maybe she's homesick. And Jamie's wondering if she's mad at him because he made her late last night to her birthday dinner and whatever. And then he's like, well, maybe I'll just call her. So he, as he goes to leave, then Jeanette like gets up and he like kind of walks by and he's like, oh, hey, jail, jailbird. And so you know, she obviously pathetically timed it so he would hopefully see her when he walks by. 94, uh, Vince is running after Jeanette. So this is after Renee called her a creep. And you know, he's like, what, what are you doing? Where are you going? And she's like, I'm going home. She's a, he's like, you can't give them the satisfaction of letting them you know, get under your skin. And she's like, everyone hates me. He's like, well, I don't. She's like, well, you, know, you shouldn't be seen with me. It's not good for you. And then, then Jamie kind of sees her walking off, whatever. And then Vince sees him standing there watching. He's like, what are you doing? Creeping on Jeanette? And Jamie's like, well, everyone's picking on her. You know, I feel bad. And Vince is like, well, you made an open season on her when you gave her a black eye. He's like, you, you forfeited you know, your right to be concerned when you dropped her on a dime. He's like, just leave her alone. And then later, Jamie's sitting in his car. He's, he's listening to some recording. And it's, it's like weird because it's, it's like, till death do it part. It's like some like old-timey movie or something like that. And you hear some like heavy breathing or not really heavy breathing, but like someone's breathing, kind of like labored breathing, like, like they've been crying or just scared or whatever. So uh, it's just really weird. Then he reaches in his glove compartment. He has a flask in there. So he's like drinking now. In 93, Mallory talks to Vince. She's like, I even got Mr. Harris. She's like, this morning, his sprinkler soaked him. And then uh, Jeanette comes up, and Mallory's like, that took forever. She's like, I had to pee. Is that allowed? So things are kind of tense between uh, Jeanette and Mallory. And then uh, so Vincent and they, they split up. Uh, ben c- comes up, and you know, so Mallory's in the AV room. Vince goes one way down one hall. Jeanette goes the other way. So Ben walks by Vince, and he's like, hey. And then he kind of pauses, and then um, he – so Vince goes after him. And he, and he's like, hey, your mom died, right? He's like, mine did too. He's like, I guess we have that in common. He's like, you know, I'd love to talk about it sometimes. He's like, I don't really know anyone like us. And Ben's like, well, how about now? And Vince kind of thinks about it, and then he goes after him. So then we see them, like, out on the bleachers talking. Ben said that, you know, he knew his mom was dying because she had cancer. He's like, every day he'd wake up wondering if that was going to be the day. And he's like, it didn't come for another year. He's like, I was 13. And then he's like, well, what about you? Vince is like, well, my mom was in a car accident. And he's like, you know, she was, she was dead hours before I knew. So I try to remember those few hours where I didn't know that my life was, wasn't upside down yet. Ben asks, he's like, do you remember the last thing you said to her? He's like, I asked her to pick up some string cheese on the way home. Ben's like, I had a lot of time to think about it. He's like, there was something I wanted to, you know, be brave enough to tell her. And as he's, he's saying this, his hand is like his finger, like his pinky's slightly touching Vincent's hand because you know their, their hands are like next to him on the on the bleachers. He's like, but I chickened out. 
He's like, I told her I loved her, and that was it. And then it's like kind of paused, and Vince is like, so uh, what'd you chicken out about? And now their, their pinkies are intertwined next to each other. So obviously he wanted to tell his mom, he wanted to come out to her, but he was too scared to let her know. 95, Jamie's drinking beer in his garage, and Jeanette shows up. He's like, do you want to sit down? She's like, no. And she's like, how could you ask me to sit down after you call me a bitch and punch me in the face? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to regret what I did every day for the rest of my life. He's like, I got caught up in a macho protective thing, and it was dumb. He's like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, why'd you do it? He's like, I thought I was defending Kate. He's like, you know, I didn't have a reason not to believe her. And she's like, over me? She's like, you knew me. And he's like, yeah. And Jeanette's like, and now who do you believe? <laughs> in 94, uh, Greg, Jeanette's mom, talks to Cindy, his wife. And he's like, it's not good, but at least it's an explanation for the key. And Jeanette quietly walks in because, you know, she's supposed to be at school or whatever. So she's like listening. He's like, and so Greg's like, I'm saying, and he's talking around the phone. I'm saying you are right. And I was wrong. He's like, well, what else do you want me to say for you to come home? Pause. He's like, fine, fine. He's like, you don't want to come home. Don't come home. He hangs up and he turns around and he sees Jeanette. Um, and he's like, he's like, why aren't you in school? And she's like, I hate it there. And I don't want to go back. He's like, oh, so you want to be a high school dropout? Maybe. Then he's like, who are you? How could you even ask me that? And she walks out. And it's so, so ridiculous. So he's like, where are you going? And she's like, to crawl under a rock. He's like, no. He's like, we're going to the police station right now. Your actions have consequences, Jeanette. And she just like stares at him. So in 93, this is a weird thing. I didn't understand how this, the whole plan, but Mallory's sitting in the AV room. So she has to wait for a while. Cause I think maybe after lunch, there's like, announcements like video announcements that go on so she wanted to override this with the tape and play it to the whole school so she's just sitting there waiting um Jeanette hears someone with heels walking by and she like ducks and it turns out it's Kate's mom she goes into Martin's offices and she's like do you know where my daughter is so it's like uh-oh Martin but in 95 uh dad Greg tells Angela that he's been paging her or something like that. She's like, Yeah, Cindy came to see me. He's like, Oh, I'm sorry, you shouldn't have to deal with that and everything. And Angela's like, uh she's like, Why haven't you been honest with me? So something's gonna come up. Ninety four, Martin says, uh he's talking to Kate's mom. He's like, Well, you know, give it time, you know, given the time, she's probably at lunch. He's like, Is everything okay at home? And Kate's mom's like, No. And she's like, she's she wasn't sure if she showed up at school today. And he's like, well, it's, you know, it's a big school. He's like, well, you know, let me make a call. So he calls the secretary. He's like, can you um, give me the absences for today? So it was only like two people in this big school. So it's like some kid and Kate Wallace. And then he, um, she, or Kate's mom's like, you know, she stormed out of the house last night. She's like, me and Rod waited up all night and she didn't come back. And, you know, so he's thinking about, he's kind of having flashbacks in mind. Kate coming, you know, to his door and everything. She's like, Kate's running away just to make a point. Kate's mom was like, I ran away from home a dozen times when I was her age. And, you know, she's probably, you know, doing the same thing. And then we see her st stepping foot inside Martin's house, him closing the door. And then he's like, well, she, you know, she's probably safe. And mom's like, but not going to school is taking it to a whole new level. And she thinks that she's like, you know, maybe it's time to, to involve the police. And Martin's like, he's like, no, he's like, you know, that's the, the opposite of doing things quietly and privately because that's what her, her mom, how she wanted to handle that. And he's like, you know, she's been missing all night with no police involvement. He's like, I'd hate for them to confuse that with negligence. 
He's like, and which we, you know, know is obviously not the case. And she's like, this is why I came to you first, you know, because he's like on their side or on the inside or, you know, whatever. And, you know, Martin's like, you know, she's a good girl. She'll come home. She's like, I'm sure of it. And outside, Jeanette heard the whole thing. And she's like, holy crap, Kate. So then uh, Jeanette follows Kate's mom out of the office and she goes past the AV room. And um, then as she's going outside, she calls after her. She's like, Mrs. Wallace. And she's he, she just like totally ignores her. And she calls her again and she turns around and she kind of, she gives her like, like she like looks her up and down, like almost in disgust. And she's like, it's me, Jeanette. She's like, you're, you're Cindy Turner's daughter, right? And she's like, yeah, I'm one of Kate's friends. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, no, that part doesn't ring a bell. And Jeanette's like, well, we're, I'm, we're new friends or I'm her new friend or something like that. And she's like, you know, if you needed anything, I'm here for you. And she's like, what would I ever need from you? And she just turns around. So it's like total snobsville. 94, Angela tells Greg, uh, you know, he's at the bar. He's like, this is the third time this week. Not that, you know, anyone's counting. And he's like, well, you probably think I have a drinking problem, but I don't. He's like, you know, I don't even really go to bars. Then she's like, well, then why is this the third time this week? He's like, I guess I just like the the company. And then things get a little awkward because Rod, Kate's dad, comes in, her stepdad. And he's asking for quarters for the meter or something like that because he's picking up a Kate. He's, he's like, I'm picking up a Kate for it. And then he sees Greg sitting there and things get awkward. And... Uh, Kate kind of notices attention. She's like, everything okay here? Whatever. And Greg just goes back to drinking his beer, doesn't, you know, ignores him, whatever. Then when he leaves, he tells Angela, it's like, he and his wife spread false rumors about my daughter. Then in 95, Angela tells Greg that, you know, she has no reason or he had no reason to believe that Jeanette was involved with what happened to Kate. And he's like, I don't. And she's like, but you knew that she had a key to Martin Harris's house. And he's like, my life's like an open, an open book. He's like, I told you everything. And Angela's like, except about the key. And Greg's like, she had the key from when she played hide and seek two years ago. You know, I made her turn it over to police and they seem satisfied. So to so know, I don't believe that, you know, my daughter had anything to do with what happened to Kate. And Angela hesitates. And she's like, you said that Cindy left you. So I guess she told Angela, she asked for space to work things out and he shut down. Greg's like, he packed a bag she packed the bag and walked out the door. So yeah, as a result, I probably did shut down. And Angela's like, you know, I don't want to stand in the way between two people who should be married. And he's like, she was my high school sweetheart. It's like, you know, we shared, you know, lots of things and ideas and everything, you know, but the marriage ran its course. She's like, you and me, I mean, it happened fast, but it just, it feels right. So then um, blah, blah, blah. 93, Mallory is still in the AV room and she's like spinning in a chair and again, it's like, okay, what is your plan? You know, how long do you have to do this? So then she looks at the time. So I guess it's it's finally time to start the tape. She puts the tape in a player and hits play. It starts off with this lady, Mrs. Rob. She's putting groceries in her trunk and she has toilet paper stuck to her shoe. And she's like, oh, Mrs. Rob, you made this too easy, which I guess that's funny. It's like so stupid. Then Martin walks in. He's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, uh, I'm in the AV club and it's a meeting. He's like, they have meetings in the morning. So again, what are you doing here? The video's still playing. And now it's like a shot of his house, which is weird because I thought that was the final scene. <laughs> she's like, she tells us like, it's a prank, whatever. It's a, it's a tape of their favorite teachers doing silly things. It's, a, it's playing instead of the afternoon announcements, which I've never heard of afternoon announcements, or whatever. And then he like sees himself and 
she's like, it's harmless. He's like, this is playing school wide. He's like, that's not harmless. And he goes over, he's like, turn, the, turn off that tape. He takes the tape out. He's like, you earned yourself detention. So then later she's storming down the hall and she comes up to Vince and Jeanette. She's like, what the actual hell? And you know, <laughs> then Jeanette's like, um, I have news. And she's like, I don't care. She's like, you abandoned me. And Jeanette's like, I have good reason. She's like, Kate Wallace. She's like, shut up about Kate Wallace. She's like, A, she's the worst. And B, she's way out of your league. And she's like, uh, no, she's not. And Vince interrupts her. He's like, you know, what happened? And she's like, I got busted by Mr. Harris. I got detention. And he's like, well, you know, a teacher came by and I had to scram. Mallory's like, fine. And then she goes to Jeanette. She's like, what's your excuse? And Jeanette's like, uh, she's like, well, what's your excuse for abandoning me and Vincent after we went shoplifting? Mallory's like, I thought we were past that. And Jeanette's like, well, maybe I'm not past you. You know, you pushing us around all the time, calling the shots. You know, <clears throat> Mallory's like, what are you talking about? Jeanette's like, my mom said it's natural for best friends to grow apart. And she's like, you know, friends don't bully each other. It's everything you want or else. She's like, maybe I want to make my own choices, make my own friends. Then Mallory's like, so you don't want to be friends with me and Vincent anymore? And she's like, she looks down. You know, she can't even look her in the eye. She's like, I didn't say anything about Vincent. And then Mallory's just like, she's like, got it. And she walks away. And she's she's obviously upset. She's kind of a jerk about you know the way everything's been going on. But again, she's just spring it on her. And the whole reason this is happening, because obviously Jeanette is infatuated with the idea of Kate Wallace and her friends. And she wants to be in that world. So she's ditching her friends who have been there because she wants to be with the cooler friends. So, you know, yet while Mallory's kind of at fault, I think they could have talked about it, whatever. 94, Jamie's in his car. He's still drinking. Ben gets in. He's like, hey, can I get a ride to the field? It's like, how far is the field that you need, need to go in a car? 95 in a garage, Jamie's said that you know, he tried apologizing to her last year, and he's thinking back. Um, so this is like when Ben got in the car, and Ben's like, have you been drinking? Because he's kind of driving, you know, not so great. He's like, oh, I just needed liquid encouragement to talk to Jeanette. And then as he's driving, he's about to blow through a stop sign and there's a car coming. And Bell's like, stop. Ben, ben yells, stop. Um, then Jamie's like, I ruined my best friend's future. So then it cuts to 94. The police are putting handcuffs on Jamie. They take him in the squad car. Ben has like a fractured shoulder or something like there's like all his blood. Vincent sees him in the back of the ambulance. He goes up to him, and like holds his hand. He's like, I'm coming with you. And Ben shakes his head and he pulls his hand away. He's like, I don't think you should. He's like, I'm sorry. 95, Ben, um, we see Ben trying to work out. He has a big scar on his shoulder and he has like dropped the weight. Then he looks over like on his desk, there's like jersey sitting there. So he can't play football anymore. In the garage, Jamie says, you know, thank goodness the other driver was okay. Jeanette's like, you were on your way to see me? Not really, Jamie. You were taking, I mean, maybe eventually you were going to go there, but you were taking Ben to the field, and you're, you're too busy drinking. So, she, But Jeanette's like, more damage that I've you know caused from all this. He's like, no, it's not your fault. It's on me. Then he's like, you know, sometimes I wake up and I forget that any of this ever happened. And she's like, and then you remember, and it ruins the rest of your day. And then she sees uh, like his tape recorder and she's like, what, what's that? You know, what, what's, what do you have a tape recorder? 93, Jeanette is standing out in front of the school. 
Jamie comes up and he's like, oh, you got your braces off. And he's like, I had braces too. You know, I had a whole headset and everything like that. And he's like, oh, you have a nice smile. Then he's about to leave. So then she's like, you know, she wants to keep talking to him. So she's like, I overheard that Kate was missing. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I know she wasn't in school. And Jeanette's like, she, she's not at home either. Mrs. Wallace reported her missing to Mr. Harris. And, you know, they, they say, you know, they always suspect a boyfriend first on TV. So I thought that I should warn you. He's like, holy crap. You know, he's thinking about this. He's like, I got to go. And she's like, okay, bye. We'll see you later. And so it's like, she doesn't even care that Kate's missing. She's only, all she cares about is that she wants to talk to Jamie. And it's like, dude, this is Kate's boyfriend that you're like all gaga over. 95, Jamie's holding the recorder. Um, he's like, you know, a few months after Kate went missing, it was like Christmas Eve, he got a message on his answering machine. And he's like, it was just a bunch of random sounds. And, and Jeanette interrupts. She's like, what? He's like, yeah, I thought it might have something to do with Kate. And Jeanette's like really concerned about this. She's like, Christmas Eve? She's like, let me hear it. And then she kind of like demands. He's like, it's nothing. She's like, if it's nothing, just play it. So um, he, he, he plays it and she, you know, she start, hears it. And then she's like, I got to go. She goes over to Mallory's and, and Mallory's like, what? And Jeanette's like, you know, I, I would hate asking you for a favor, but I need the snow globe. And Mallory's like, why would I still have that? And so obviously she's mad and, and or whatever. So she's like, no, I don't, I don't still have it. And then, so she leaves. But then Mallory goes in her room under her bed. She pulls out like this hat box and she has a snow globe and she like shakes it and looks at it. I don't know what the snow globe would have to do with the recording on Christmas Eve. So I guess we'll find out maybe. I don't know when we'd find because Christmas Eve, we're in August. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how we're going to find out. Then in 94, uh, Harris is watching the tape, the, the prank tape, and he sees himself in the sprinkler or whatever. And he like rewinds it a couple times. But the weird thing is you see Kate, you kind of see it, barely see it because, you know, it, it, the camera's a back away. But it looks like Kate's sort of like in the living room or dining room, some like window just staring out. And then, you know, he rewinds it, he looks at it again, and then he finally takes the tape out and he's like stomps on it. So I guess the tape could have shown that Kate was in his house if uh, Mallory was would have been careful enough and, you know, notice it. But, yeah. So it's weird. If she was, you know, why she could have left, so maybe she wasn't locked up at this point because she could have just unlocked the door and walked out or broken a window. So it's weird that she would stay there without um, leaving or going to school. And she wasn't locked in a basement, it didn't look like. So I was, yeah, I was a little confused by that because you could barely see it. So I don't know. But uh, yeah, how many episodes are there? Is there 10? All right, Superman and Lois, season one, episode eight, uh, Holding the Wrench. I, so, surprise, surprise, I actually thought the show wasn't on because Legends of Tomorrow and The Flash weren't on and so i just i assumed and you know what they say when you assume i i just figured this show wasn't going to be on as well uh it's kind of a good thing it was it would have been really bad because it, it was only on for was it one week or two weeks that it just came back and it would it would be unfortunate if it just returned and then it's off a week and then so i'm, I'm glad it was on and i i think in place of a flash they showed another episode of superman and Lois. I i'm not sure which one Man, I got to tell you, I had the hardest time with my DVR 
<laughs> as I, I'm trying to watch it. Like I started watching it um, shortly after it started, and I know that maybe this is no interest. So I'm watching it. I get about six minutes in, and then all of a sudden, the volume just cuts out on on my cable, and it was it because I, I like switch. I was like, okay, well, I'll try Hulu. Hulu volume works. Uh, so I, I'm on, on. I tried something else in my DVR uh, episode of ridiculousness. <laughs> there's there's no volume there. I, I have so many freaking episodes of ridiculous on my DVR. It it's ridiculous how many I have. And I I go regular cable. I try other channels like no volume. I turn it off, turn it back on. I unplug the HDMI, plug it back. And it's like nothing's working. I'm like, what is going on? It's like I want to watch this, you know. And so then finally, I was like, I unplug the from the back of the, uh, the the cable box or whatever, plug it back in, and then it's got to reboot the whole system. So I'm like waiting, and it like took forever. It's going and going. Finally, and then I got volume. It's like, oh great. So I, I start watching it, and uh, it were, actually what happened before is like I tried watching it. it would it would keep going back to the beginning, even though I was only six minutes in. So I had to like fast forward a couple times. But then as I'm watching, then I'm looking, I was like, wait, it says only 52 minutes recorded. I was like, no. So I'm watching and I'm getting closer to 52 minutes. And then like it keeps going. I was like, okay, maybe it's just wrong or whatever. And then it does stop. So I was like, oh, are you serious? So I don't know. It, it's, I, it seems weird that, I mean, maybe it was my fault for unplugging it, but the thing wasn't working. But what is weird about it is we have two cable boxes so maybe this was the main cable box but you would think since it's digital i don't know so I, maybe it was my fault because i unplugged and it had to be rebooted but if the power went out does that mean it wouldn't record i don't know so what i ended up having to do i was like god oh, geez so it's it's like maybe 10 30 10 45 11 somewhere around there uh then this again tuesday night so I'm like, I guess I'm gonna have to watch it Wednesday on the CW app. I'm not gonna be able to fast forward, right? Because I think that's how the CW app works. I decided, I was like, okay, look at my iPad. Do I still have the CW app loaded on there? Because I, I never use it because I'm paying way too much for cable, stupidly. And uh, it was already on there. I'm mean, like, awesome. It's, it's supposed to be on the next day, but maybe because the East Coast or whatever they consider it the next day. So I start watching it and I realized I could kind of fast forward, but there's like breaks where there's commercials. So they force you to watch commercials. So I, I kind of just let it run or whatever, let the commercials run and tried, you know, fast forwarding a little bit. Anyways, so I watched the end. <laughs> so was that like, like three minutes just to go on about my, my, my random problems. So uh, w as far as the episode goes, uh, it was good. I didn't love it as much as last week's episode. Last week's was really good. This was a good one. Don't get me wrong. And as, as I watch this show, and I, I just really appreciate what they're doing. I appreciate the show for existing. And that's, I, it's surprising right there that, you know, I'm, I'm digging this CW Arrowverse show as much as I am. No offense, but I, it just hasn't quite been the same lately. But I'm just super excited for this show, and I, I'm just I'm so surprised, given the fact I I'm not super crazy about Lois and Clark having two kids and all this. But it's all working. Everyone is doing a great job on the show, and and I I enjoy it week after week. So it, it's just it's so surprising. But with all that being said, it's it's a, a little confusing how this fits into the rest of the Arrowverse because you know they were merged but then you know we have this 
long history with them that doesn't really, so I guess things are just overwritten and everything, and I guess we just don't worry about it. But it's like, I wonder, is like Supergirl in this this world? Is a Flash in this world? Black Lightning? So anyways, let's start off. So uh, episode 108 begins with Lois meeting with some lady. We find out later her name is Dr. Willis, I think. And, you know, she knows her dad. So I'm like, who's this lady? And she seems like a therapist or something like that. She says that, you know, they've been having major life changes. And but today she got blindsided and she felt like everything was slipping through her fingers and she lost her temper. And, you know, she's worried that, you know, if she can't pull it together, she's going to hurt someone she really loves more than she already has. So it's like, yikes. Uh, then, then it cuts to, you know, back on the farm. So whether this is before, this was probably before. You know, uh, Lois and Clark are talking to kids about how they're doing, you know, how everything's going and how, how they're handling it all. And, you know, Lois is like, you know, if you're stressed or worried about anything, you know, you need to tell us and stuff like that. You know, you need to talk to us. We need communication going. And, um, you know, Clark's like trying to fix a dent in the truck from when they, they smashed into uh, John Henry Irons last last episode. But then he hears like just some signal from the, the DOD, the Department of Defense, so he has to fly off. We find out that the um, Lex, General Lex or whatever, John Henry Irons, his RV is parked in their barn. So it's like, that seems kind of weird. I mean, I guess they probably would have brought it. But you think if they took him to the DOD, wouldn't they have taken the RV too? But I guess they wanted to hang on to it for whatever reason. So it's parked in their barn. Lois is going to check it out. And John, he asks if he can go with. He really wants to help. You know, he, he wants to do something. So they, they go out there and they're like, why do we think there's any reason to look at this? And she's like, well, it's lined with lead. So, you know, something must be hidden or whatever. They enter the RV. The AI goes off, asks for identification. And Lois starts talking and it recognizes Lois, Lois's voice. So then she's like, she, you know, she asks it how it knows her. And the AI says that she's one of the authorized users. And then so Lois is like, all right. So she's like, well, what can you tell me about John Henry Irons? And then this, uh, I think it was a bed, like flips up against a wall and there's like a couple computer screens and there's like images of like, there's an image of John getting a medal or something like that, you know, from being in the military. Then it cuts to Lana. You know, she's looking at uh, like small businesses that can use help, you know, f- from Morgan Edge. Uh, Sarah says that her friend Jess wants her to try out for the musical. His name's Kevin, right? Is that Sarah's dad, Lana's husband? He offers to help her prepare something because apparently she's like, you know, a good singer or anything like that. Because he's like, I have the day off and everything. But she's like, she's really hesitant and everything. And there's all the stuff about her being in choir. Or he says that she's like, yeah, it was with a group. You know, she doesn't you know want to do it on her own. But then at school, we see her, you know, standing in front of the, like the, the sign up sheet. Jordan comes up. She's like, oh, are you a theater kid? And she's like, no, no. You know, uh, it was just like looking at this. He's, he's like, you should try out. But she's like, talks about how she gets stage fright and everything. And he's like, yeah, I know what that's like. She's like, I used to play the piano. You know, I did the whole recital things and everything like that. But when I got older, it started to be too much and everything like that. So Jordan apparently is like really good at the piano. Then we see uh, John Henry Iron sitting in his cell. He's thinking back, of course, to his time with Lois. We, he thinks about his daughter. A door opens and three guards take him into his interrogation room. And in the corner, it's kind of like Batman, like hiding in a shadow. Superman like steps out and he, you know, he tells John to take a seat. He's like, that is your real name, right? And he starts like listing off his accomplishments as a ranger and all this stuff like that. But he's like, 
John Henry die, Irons died six years ago under mysterious circumstances. He's like, we're at least one on this earth did. So he's like, so how did you get here? Then we see a, a little like flashback where, um, which is, I still don't know how this happened, but I guess we just don't worry about it so much. You know, John is like on like his his ship or whatever. Somehow he's going to, you know, break the multiverse and, you know, go to another earth. But like evil Superman's like outside, like banging in like on a, the cockpit window or whatever. And it, it's starting like the, the, the crack and everything like that. Then he's like, all you need to know is that I'm going to end you or something like that. So then he says that, you know, what happened on his world is already happening here. You know, the Kryptonians are here, and he's not saying another word until Lois Lane is, is brought to him. It's like, okay, you're making demands. Lois and John are still looking at the information on the computers. They come across an image of Lois and John, and then another one with their daughter. And John's just like, that's you, Mom. He's like, whoa. You know, he doesn't say anything, but he's just like, oh. Uh, then back to the DOD, Iron Cell Superman, about how he killed, you know, Superman killed Lois. Then we see um, Lois talking to that lady, and she talks about having regrets, how she was enraged, and she's like, "You have no idea the things I said." And you know, she she says that she thinks sometimes words cut so deep that it changes how a person sees you. So Clark calls Lois, and he's like, "You know, your husband from another Earth is trying to kill your husband." And you know, she sees, or he's looking at articles. Lois must have sent him some stuff, and he sees that you know the Superman looks just like him, except it's you know the costume's different. It's a black costume, and you know Lois, she's like, well, you know, maybe I should talk to him. And Superman's like, well, not yet. And you know, she says, well, we need to know, uh, you know, we need him to tell us like how to save our world. So then uh, we see Sarah. You know, she's talking to her dad. She's like, you know, I, I can't do it. You know. And he's like, well, this is where he goes on about her performing in the choir for years. And she's like safety of numbers and everything like that. But then finally, she decides to do it. So then uh, General Lane is talking to Superman. He's, he says he wants to change tactics with, with this guy. He wants to send in Lieutenant, I think it was Lieutenant, Lieutenant Trask. It's like, hmm, that name sounds familiar, right? And Superman's like, no, he's like, you know, we're not, I, you know, I don't condone torture. And, and generally he's like, well, you know, we do things our way. So, you know, you don't have to be part of it or whatever. So then John, um, Lois and Clark's kid, John, Jonathan, he's looking at more pictures in an RV. And he, he's like, oh, you know, sorry, I didn't get to meet you, sis. You look really cool. And then, you know, he's just like flipping through stuff. And he sees uh, the, the video, the news footage of Lois. And it's, it's one where she gets killed. You know, they, they kind of cut away, but he's like kind of shy and he like turns it off right away. So he's looking around some more and then he opens up this like closet and there's like a bunch of guns in there. And then an alarm goes off and then shunk, 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 like the shutters are like metal shutters are are sealing the RV. And the AI asks him to identify himself. And he, he says, you know, who he is. It doesn't acknowledge him. So it's like you will be eliminated in 20 seconds or something like that. So he's like banging, you know, trying to open the door or anything like that. Lois comes running out and she's like banging on the door. She, you know, she can't open it. So then she's, thankfully she's got the, the Superman call button thing in her pocket. She hits it. Zark, Zark, <laughs> Clark zips <laughs> from the DOD. He goes over there, rips open a door, covers, you know, shields John. All these lasers start shooting him. Then he kind of looks and uses like his heat vision to take him out and stuff like that. So then this is Lois goes off. She's like, are you out of your mind? She's like, you don't go snooping around another guy's murder van. And he's like, I thought it'd be okay. 
And he's like, I saw how upset it made you. And he's like, I was looking for weapons. And you know, he's like, you know, Dad and Jordan are basically our weapons. He says that you know he was like one second from being dead, and Mom couldn't do anything. So she tells John, she's like, she's like, look at me. She's like, I let you come with me because I trusted you. I trusted you. She's like, I thought you were responsible enough to know how ignorant you know all this is. You went in alone behind my back. You almost died because you were reckless and stupid. She's like, and if you would have been killed, it would have been your fault. She's like, get out of my face. And Clark's just like, he's like, okay. So, you know, John leaves and he's like, are you okay? And she's like, you know, he's like, that was a little harsh. She's like, I don't want to talk about it. And he's like, you know, do you want to talk about what you saw in the van? And, you know, he's like, I know you can handle anything, but it's okay to ask for help. And then he's like, you know, maybe you should talk to your dad's friend, Dr. Wills, Wills, whatever, at the DOD, you know, if you don't want to talk to me about it. So then we see uh, Kevin, he goes to talk to Lana about Sarah's rehearsal. You know, he's really excited. You know, they, they were working on some song and he's going to play the guitar. And uh, before he walks in the building, Leslie, Leslie Lar sees him and, you know, they, they start talking a little bit. And she's like, you know, just know that Mr. Edge was disappointed you turned down his offer. And she's like, you know, we just want you to know that, you know, we are interested in you. And, you know, he hopes that maybe you'll you'll reconsider. So he's just like, Oh, because Lana said there there was no nothing for him. So then we see Lana. She's talking to some lady about a, like a business loaner. She's like, "Why well, I, I don't want a loaner?" And she's like, "No, you know, you know, Mr. Edge is offering a hundred fifty thousand dollar grant for your business to help you." And then Kevin comes in rudely. He's like, "Lana, can I talk to you?" It's like, dude, she's working. She's with a quote unquote customer. She's talking to someone and you're just going to interrupt her because your baby little ego is, is bruised and you need to talk to your ask her because you're going to start crying if you don't get any answers. So then he's like, did you lie to me? He's like, Leslie says edge wants me. And you know, if he does, I want the job. And she's like, there is no position. And he's like, well, that's not what Leslie said. <laughs> and Lana's like, I, she's like, you know, edge doesn't think you're leadership material. And then he's like, okay, well, I better get back to work then. Whatever. So, um, yeah, things are just this dude, you know, bravo to him for being a firefighter. You know, I applaud him because that is awesome. You know, that's a, such a great thing. But man, you are such a little whiny, jerky baby. And just about, anyways. So that that's that's the way it goes, right? Um, Iron talks to General Lane, or actually, he's not talking to him. He doesn't. He won't talk. He's you know, and General Lane is saying how they know we knew each other because you know he in the other world he was his father in law, whatever. But he's like you know, on, there's someone on the other side of glass with sodium pentothal and other stuff. You know, get you to talk. Irons says that, you know, he's like, you know, you trusted Superman until he turned on you and murdered you. And General Lane's like, like, well, he he, he won't turn. You know, he he's, won't do that to us. So then Lois, <laughs> Dr. Wills, she's like, is there a reason that you're not telling me everything? She's like, you know, who did you lash out against? And so Lois is like, it was my son. And, you know, what he did scared me. So she's like, you know, having a kid, what, what, and I feel like this is something that's been said. I don't know who or who said it before, or whatever. But she's like, you know, having a kid is like having a part of your heart out there in the world, and there's nothing you can do to protect it. So she's like, I haven't felt this powerless in a long time. And the doctor's like, probably not since your miscarriage. So news to us, right? She's like, you know, they already had a name picked out. They were going to name her after her grandmother, Natalie which is the name of John Henry Irons and Lois's daughter in this other earth. 
Trask uh, wants to have a word with Irons, but there's this other guard just like escorting him. He's like, oh, no, we have orders. He's like, we can't talk. He's like, well, whatever. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of bickering a little bit. And then this other dude grabs Trask, like knocks him into the walls, like in both sides of the hall. And it's like, like knocks him out or something like that. But apparently it was more than knocking him out. Uh, and then his eyes start glowing. And he tells Irons, he's like, he's like, your problems are just about to begin. So Wills, Dr. Wills wonders if Lois needs more time to process her grief. And you know, Lois is like, she's like, I can't lose another child again because of me. She's like, you know, I never stopped working. I was doing all this stuff. And Dr. Wills is like, that doesn't cause miscarriages. You know, it's, it's genetic and, you know, there's other, you know, factors and stuff like that. Lois is like, you know, I can handle a lot in my life, but there's some things that I just can't control. And Lois is, you know, she's like, I was so excited to meet her. And Willis says that, you know, you have to allow yourself to go through the grieving process no matter how long it takes. So in uh, like the, the theater, just like musical tryouts, um, you know, Sarah's like sitting, you know, close to the front. Jordan walks in. He has some flowers for Sarah. And, you know, he's sitting here. He's all happy. He's ready. You're ready to see her. John comes in and he's like, why are you ignoring my texts? And Jordan's like, he's like, oh, I've been busy. And then, you know, John sees a flower. He's like, dude, you're like, you're in a friend zone or whatever. And, uh, Sarah comes up to him, so he has to like hide the flowers behind him. She's because her dad's not there, and she's like, "I can't, I can't do it without him," because you know he's got the music and everything. And Jordan's like, "He's like, I can do it." He's like, "I can look up at the chords," and so he's and she's like, "They they call her up at this time." So it's like, "Dude, when are you going to look at at the chords when you're like literally walking up to the stage now?" So they go up on there. He's got a little phone on the, on the piano. Thank goodness he has reception. And they're going to play um, Amos Lee's Little Light, which I'm not familiar with that song. It was a nice song. Uh, I, I I was going to listen to the original, but I didn't. So, But it's like one of the things he's playing, and he you know his back is kind of to her because, uh, you know, she's whatever. And as he's playing, he keeps, like, looking at her, like, smiling. It's like, dude, you are really good at the piano because you're not even looking at the music. You're hitting some things, and then you're looking at her, and you know where to go. Maybe he knows the song, and which is, could be possible. So it, it seemed like it went well. Now, uh, back at the DOD, the other dude, you know, every once he starts, like, shaking a little bit, so kind of like how, how Tag was doing, or, or the other dude more so, uh, you know, like, he can't. It's, it's almost like too much power for him. So he says that, you know, he has the power to take out Superman. Um, and then with the general, they're like, Irons is missing. And this this one other lady soldier, she gets a report that Trask is dead. So I guess when he, like, slammed him against the wall, he killed him. Uh, and then so, like, where they're at, there's, they were able to track where they're at, uh, this other soldier and, and Irons. They're in Sector 5. So Superman's, like, ready to go there. And General Lane's like, you can't go there. Because that's where the kryptonite stuff is. He's like, bottom line, you go down there, you might not come out alive. So um, Superman goes down there, of course. The soldier dude, he shoots Superman with like this kryptonite gas gun because there's like a big cloud of like green smoke hits him. He gets up and he tells Iron, he's like, go. So then uh, the dude, the soldier shoots him again, hits him. Um, he, he takes like a can, like a little canister thing, like kryptonite gas is kind of like a smoke bomb, throws it at him. And he, this dude tells Superman, he's like, you're on the wrong side. And then shakes a little bit. Superman grabs a canister. He like kind of jabs in his shoulder, but he doesn't really like stab him or puncture him or anything like that. But it, uh, obviously it hurt him. Um, the more punching at one point, Superman headbutts him, which is, you don't expect to see Superman headbutt someone. And I, you can't, can't really tell. It's like, is he holding his breath? Because, you know, he kind of looks like he might be, even though he coughed a little bit before. 
And um, but then, you know, the dude says he has a mission to, to accomplish and he's like all ready to, to take out Superman because, you know, Superman's on the ground. And all of a sudden, <laughs> Irons stabs him with a spear with like a, a kryptonite tip. And, you know, he's like, on my world, among all the weapons I used to kill Kryptonians, this was my favorite. So other guards come in. They're like, put the weapon down. And, you know, because like now he's standing over Superman with his spear. And then Lois comes in. She's like, you you wanted to talk to me. She's like, here I am. But he's he doesn't want to put it down. And she yells. She's like, I know about Natalie. And, you know, she says, you know, sometimes things happen and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You know, their worlds are different, but their Superman is good. You know, he'd never turn on them ever. She's like, if you kill him, an innocent man, a hero, what does that make you? And he just like, you know, listens to her words and he, he backs down and he drops the spear. Then they take him away. So then... Uh, Superman, he's on the mend. He's, you know, dealing with it. Uh, he tells Lane, he's like, you know, yeah, that was some nasty stuff. So Lane's like, General Lane's like, that was designed to attack the respiratory system and everything like that. You know, he says it wasn't his intention to never see it actually deployed. He's like, you know, a man in my position, you know, you, I hope for the best, but I have to prepare for the worst. And he's like, I, I know I'm going to have to work to re- regain your trust. And, you know, they talk about this soldier dude. He was third generation military. And, you know, there's no signs of him, you know, doing anything. He didn't have any indication of having superpowers or anything like that. Superman's like, I don't think it was him. He's like, Lois has a theory that uh, Morgan Edge figured out a way to transfer alien sentience into human hosts. So he's like, I think it's, it's possible Morgan Edge is building an army. So, and uh, I think General Lean's like, Kryptonian aliens, <laughs> you know. So Leslie is talking to a bunch of employees, thanks them for their devotion to their team. You know, um, as soon as, as Morgan Edge is back in town, he's going to talk to them individually. You know, they'll, he'll help them achieve their perfect selves. And, you know, Lana kind of hears all this. From, you know, she's like outside the conference room and then she like walks away. So, you know, she's trying to protect because if Kevin was part of it, he's probably going to end up dying. So then Sarah's in the kitchen. Kevin comes home. I feel like his name is not Kevin, but I don't want to stop and, and look it up. Pretty sure that that's her, her dad's name. Uh, he comes in. He sees her. He's like, Sarah, I'm so sorry. He's like, I got bad news about a job opportunity, which is whatever, dude. You have a job. You are the fire, the chief of the fire department. He's like, and then I just needed to blow off steam. And then, you know, before I knew it, I missed the audition. He's like, you know, I, I promise next time. And she's like, don't, just don't. Don't promise anything. She's like, you just, you just go, you know, do whatever you're doing. That's fine. She's like, I just keep getting my hopes up and getting disappointed again. And she just like walks out of the room. He's like, Sarah. <laughs> so John's he's staring out the window at the RB. And John Henry Irons is there. He's just like walking around. Jordan's like kind of playing the piano now, you know, that he's got the the, the taste for it again. And John's like, so this guy tries killing dad and now he's our house guest? And Jordan's like, well, I don't think mom would let him stay if, if he was dangerous. And John's like, well, after everything, you know, they saw in the trailer, I wouldn't trust her judgment now. And right when he says that, she like walks in the room. So she's like, I guess I deserve that. So she goes, to George, she's like, can I get a minute alone with your brother? And so she shows him a picture. It's like the, the you know, two kids and she's obviously pregnant. She's like, you know, when you're about 18 months old, I got pregnant and ended up losing the baby. She's like, so it's not really something that I talk about much. She's like, you know, we were going to name her Natalie. And then John, he's like, ah, he gets a coincidence that that was John Henry Irons' daughter. Lois is like, you know, all this time, 
I thought I was okay. And then I was reminded of the child that I lost. And in almost losing you, I just, I lost it. She's like, I said some things I never meant and things that I never should have said. She's like, I'm, I'm sorry. She's like, I love you so much. And she's like, I hope that you can forgive me. And he hugs her. <laughs> um, she says, you know, to, to promise her that he'll never go rogue like that again. He's like, I just want to help. And Lois is like, I get what it's like to be in the orbit of someone who can juggle semi-trucks. He's like, all you can do is stand there even though you want to help. He's like, but we're all on the same team. You know, we're, we are the extraordinary humans in a family of super people. He's like, you know, we have to stick together. Then they, they give another hug. So Irons is looking at the RV. Lois comes out and then shoom, Superman lands. Irena, Irons comments. He's like, oh, it looks like you're pretty much recovered. And he's like, more or less. He's like, and I'm free to just drive out of here. And Superman's like, it's simple. He's like, if there really is a war coming, we're going to need all the help we can get. He's like, this is a show of trust. Irons is like, well, you know, I let you live. Doesn't that mean that I'm ready to, to fight by your side? And Superman's like, you know, he's like, yeah, I, I understand. He's like, but, you know, if, if you need to talk to me, you know how to get a hold of me. And he kind of like motions to Lois. And then it's funny because then he looks at her. He's like, Ms. Lane. And then he like takes, takes off. But like when he says that, she, it almost looked like she kind of like rolled her eye a little bit. She doesn't. Uh, so he flies off. So Lois tells Irons, she's like, I hope you find some solace. And he's like, you know, there's a lot I want to say, but you're not the woman that I want to say it to. He's like, you just look like her. So I'll leave you with Godspeed. Inside the RV, the AI is like, welcome back, Captain Luther. He pauses and then he's like, erase the profile for Captain Luther. And he's like, set a new one, John Henry Irons. The AI asks, like, should I set a course for a new destination? And he's like, how about you shut down? I think I'll just drive for a while. As you wish, John. And that's where it ends. And then, I don't know, um, I didn't get to see previews for next week because I watched the ending on the, the CW app and I guess they don't do previews. So I, I, I could have, I'm sure it's on, on YouTube already, but I didn't look up. But it was a good episode. I, I think, to me, it was a little cheesy because it's, but it's a good, a good cheesy because it's, it's really developing Lois as more, more human because, you know, she's a, a super fierce character. You know, you don't want to get in Lois's way. Sometimes I feel like they, they build her up too much to make her completely, you know, unstoppable or whatever, but that's fine because, you know, she's a cool character and all that. But I feel like just this whole thing, like the revelation, you know, with what she lost and I mean, it is a, a lot. So I, I think it is important to kind of look at this aspect of her being a human living with Superman and now having a son with, with, you know, build, bud blooming powers. I don't know what it, the word I'm looking for. So it was good in a way. Uh, you know, some of the stuff was a little cliche. I felt what she was saying, but again, at the same point, you know, if, if you're a parent, you kind of understand and, and so, so there's some good moments there. And then I, I like the closure, you know, with, with John, because while he made a, like a really cool bad guy, he could also be like a really cool good guy. And, you know, obviously they're going to need that. So Morgan Edge is clearly the baddie here. So we don't need Irons. And, you know, because Irons isn't a bad guy. He's a good guy in the comics. You know, you know who he is. Shaq, Shaquille, Steel, <laughs> Shaquille Neal. So... It'll be it'll be good to see him again and see that hammer in action and all that. I wonder if he, they're going to give it back to him because I don't know if it's in the, in the van, the RV. So it was good. Um, I, I'm glad it was on. I'm glad we got to watch it. 
All right, let's talk Adventure Times. Adventure Times? Adventure. Let's talk Adventure Time. I should edit this. Let's talk Adventure Time, Distant Lands, <laughs> Season 1, Episode 3. I hope it's Season 1. I would love for there to be more. So this actually came out a, a couple weeks ago. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that it's taken me two, you know, at least two weeks to talk about this. Part of the what I'll blame, I had no idea was it was coming up. So with since it's it's come back and I, I, I see I don't even know if it's on Cartoon Network because uh, I don't really watch regular TV often, and you know I just watch this on HBO Max. So maybe it was just on there, but I didn't even know it was it came out because the way this season has been, you know, this is only the third episode. It's been very um, it. Unless I completely missed it, it hasn't really been coming, been released on a schedule. It's kind of just been like, okay, this is whenever it's going to come out. So maybe they've put a release because I, I think even like when the last episode aired, the one with about Marceline and Princess Bubblegum, I don't think there they had announced when the next episode would come out. You know, it was just like you know to be announced. So this episode finally came out, and I was talking to someone, uh, Dustin. He's like, "Yeah, I just watched Adventure Time." And I, at first, I was like, "Oh, you're watching old episodes." What? Then I was like, "I realized." I was like, "Oh no, it's the new episode." So then I was, so I was kind of bummed that I didn't watch it and talk about it on that week's podcast. And then I was like, "Okay, well, I'll just talk about it on the next one, which was last week." But last week's podcast was so full, you know, with everything. I was like, I could talk about it, but it's probably, I'm going to just babble on, like kind of am now. I'm kind of purposely babbling on now because there's not that much this week. So I feel like I can get into all this, but I was like, okay, I'll talk about it this week, even though it's two, like at least two weeks, two and a half weeks late, but I figure I love the show and there's not other stuff since other shows had taken the week off. So I was like, let's just talk about it. So the third episode, this, this, this series has been kind of weird, you know, because the show ended, you know, and, and a pretty definitive ending. And now we're just kind of jumping around because like the, you know, the first episode spoiler was actually before the series. The second episode does take place after. And in this one, and you're watching it, you know, I didn't want to read anything about it. So I didn't know anything when, when this was going to take place. Because it's called Together Again, and it's featuring Finn and Jake, I was like, okay, it must be after the regular series ended. Because in the last episode, we do see a, a, a slightly older Finn, and but we don't see Jake. So it's like, you know, why isn't Jake there? And Finn had like a tattoo of Jake, I'm pretty sure it was a tattoo of Jake on his chest. So it's like, what's going on? So together again. So something must have been happening here. Uh, so let's just get into it. So spoilers if you haven't watched it. Oh, the other thing, I guess before I get into it, <laughs> the the other amazing thing is that these episodes are like around 45, 47 minutes or something like that. That is so different from the 11 minute format. You know, we did have some like double episodes sometimes, but there's just something really nice about having these, you know, 45 minute episodes because it's just, you get to enjoy the story. You want it to, to keep going because, you know, you, you enjoy it so much. So I've loved this and we have one more episode after. So I, I hope they decide to keep doing more. I hope they have other ideas and stuff, you know, don't force it, but I hope that there, there's more they can do. So it starts off. It has like, it's like the old intro. So I'm like, that's weird. And we see Finn has both his arms. So I was like, I, and when I saw that, I was like, 
okay, okay. So is this like a lost adventure or something like that? I was like, how can this be? It's like, all right, hey, it's it's new content. Maybe it's taking place in the middle of seasons four and five or, you know, who knows what, whatever. So I was like, all right. So they're on a, an adventure in like some ice cream tunnel. They're being chased by these ice cream people. Jake's carrying this, you know, a little little thing of ice cream that has like 50 flavors. So, you know, they're super excited to, to try it and everything like that. They're going for a while. Jake decides to make a shortcut. So he just like busts through. They get out there. They see like ice cream, um, ice cream. They see Ice King <laughs> flying. He's carrying a turtle princess and a lumpy space princess. So, you know, of course, they, they have to chase after him, even though, you know, they want to get the ice cream. But for some reason, as they're, they're going after uh, Ice King, the ice cream's kind of melting. And Finn's like, hey, Jake. But Finn's like, oh, or Jake's like, it's okay. You know, we're basically like in a giant freezer or something like that. But then they get attacked by snowmen. So, you know, they, they have this big fight. They get to Ice King's place, and he has Turtle Princess and Lumpy's base princess tied to, like— um, like a, a balance thing, you know, a balance uh, scale thing or whatever. And they're over like a big vat of, I forget what it was. It's like boiling water or something like that. Ice King basically tells them, you know, if they save one, the other's going to fall into whatever was below the boiling whatever. And then Jake's like, well, why don't we just save both? So they, they, you know, they, they go through it. Jake, uh, um, was it Jake or was it Finn? They, they manage to say, you know, they, they get uh, Turtle Princess, but then Finn is like reaching for Lumpy Space Princess. And then, uh, you know, because she's still, you know, he's he's basically weighing down to one side and Lumpy Space Princess is still tied on the other side. And then Ice King, he just like blasts the rope and she starts falling before Finn could grab her. She's falling and falling. And then she just starts floating and she just floats, floats away. So it's like it wasn't even a big deal. And then, you know, uh, the Turtle Princess mentions, like, worms are attacking the library or something like that. So I think Finn wants to go and stop them. But Jake's like, oh, you know, he's like, I'll meet you later. I, I got somewhere else. I got to go or whatever. But Finn's like, like, no, he's like, we have to go. It's like, you know, we, we have to stay, to, you know, we can't be separated or something like that. They're, they're outside and uh, a giant bird, you know, they, they fight the worms and a, a giant bird grabs a worm. And it's like, Faye, save me, Finn and Jake, or something like that. <laughs> and then Finn gets grabbed by by the bird, and then uh, he he hold, Jake is is like f- still frozen in a block of ice from Ice King, and he was like in a wagon. So as Finn gets taken, he grabs the wagon handle, and they're being carried over. But then they notice that the bird is taking them to like a big nest at, on their treehouse, and you see there's like skeletons of other people in there, and I th- I think. Jake's like Boyd's got to eat, <laughs> so they they go in there and uh, they end up falling. And Jake's still in a block of ice, and they they land by like an open grave, and it just says like R.I.P. So Jake starts crawling towards it. He's like, "Oh, that's where I'm supposed to be." And Finn's like, "He's like freaking out." He's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "We're supposed to be together." And then Jake just says, "Bye, Finn," and he melts, and all like liquid just fills the grave. He's like, this isn't happening, not again. And the grave says, R.I.P. Jake. So then uh, there's like something in Finn's backpacks, like moving around, or whatever. So he like manages, he gets it out. It's like this spider thing. And then we see Finn now is old, has a long beard, and has his robot arm. So this whole thing was just a big hallucination. 
And, you know, he thought he was with Jake and it was like old times. But then he sees that there's like other people there. So these spider things, they they kind of suck on you. They, they make you hallucinate and they just eat the energy or memories or whatever. So he says he's going to get all of them out. Um, then there this guard lands, you know, there's like this doorway. And he's like, welcome to eternity. And then the title card says Finn and Jake are dead. So Finn realizes that they're dead because they've been here before. They've been to death and there was like that card. So Finn's like, oh, so he's dead, but that means he gets to see Jake again. So the idea is Jake did die. We don't know when this happened necessarily, but that must be why in the second episode, Jake wasn't there when Finn showed up at the end for like, you know, two seconds. And that's probably why Jake got the tattoo of, of or that's why, I keep flipping it. That's why Finn... <laughs> got the tattoo of jake my my uh my my sister-in-law has a dog named finn which throws me off because it's like jake is a dog finn's a human but their dog's name is finn so i, I always it always throws me off so they they you know he's like i could see jake again but then uh the guard asks him for the cause of death or something like that finn is just whatever he just like hops he goes into the other room and as he's in there, he sees him. He's like, Jake, it's me. Because he sees someone like up on this little mound or whatever. But it's really Mr. Fox. <laughs> and then for some reason, Finn turns young. And Mr. Fox, he's like, oh, I'm your guide. And he's like, so Jake's Finn is like, can you take me to Jake? And he's like, oh, I, no, I, I, I can't do that, whatever. So Finn realized that he can change into past versions of himself, including um, that past life, that girl Shoko, that Princess Bubblegum knew, whatever. And he starts doing uh, like this hand clap thing or whatever. It's supposed to be to signal whatever that, that him and Jake do. And Mr. Like the fox is like, it's not going to work. He's like, Jake's not here. And the fox, like, he, you know, he's somewhere else. So Finn apparently has been aside to assigned to this 37th dead world and this this angel demon thing comes rips finn's ticket and up uh, in half what it has and he, then he gives a fox a new one he's like oh you've been reassigned so finn decides he wants to go talk to the new death and this other demon comes and says that he's supposed to be his guide so this other demon thing is actually tiffany and finn's like you're a cop now and tiffany's like yeah cool cop so he's, he's like, I'll take you where you want to go. Then Finn asks Tiffany, he's like, can you take me to Jake? And Tiffany's like, he's in the, the highest of high places or whatever. He's in the, the 50th dead world. So as they're going, you know, Finn wants to see death. But Tiffany is, was actually taking Finn to his studio apartment. And so Finn knocks out Tiffany and because they walk by the, these stairs and they're like, oh, that's that's New Death's throne room. And he, then Finn's like, where are you taking me? And that's when he says, studio apartment. So he knocks out Tiffany, whatever, runs up the stairs, and New Death is there. And, you know, New Death is like, what are you doing? How'd you get up here? Whatever. And he's he's like, well, I was friends with, with Old Death, you know, and New Death's like, oh, that guy sucked. So, you know, he's, he's not really happy that he's there. Finn manages to escape. Um, he takes, like, this note thing, the, this circular, like, like a, a, a horn, whatever you call those things. I don't know what they are. So each node apparently takes you to a different dead world. And so he's trying all of them because he wants to get to Jake. Like in one of them, he sees tree trunks. Uh, she's there with her, I forget her, what was the, her, the pig's name, her husband? Um, and I, I think that was dead world 30. 
uh, he blows it again and again. He see keeps going to like weird death world after death world. There's one where like Choose Goose was there. He keeps looking everywhere, you know. Then finally, he's like, "I've tried every note in this thing," and the last like where he finds his parents, uh, him is Jake's parents. So they they tell him that you know to get to the fiftieth dead world, you have to not want to go there. So he then Finn's just like upset because he you know he doesn't know what to do. He goes sits on the roof or whatever. There's a knock on the door, and uh, Tiffany's there and says sorry. And then this dead world gets like obliterated. So Finn's just left like floating, kind of like in space on a you know busted piece of, of the roof. And he looks back, just sees like the remains of the house. And he, so he's crying because you know now the parents are gone. And he's like Jake. He's like, why didn't you wait for me? And then he turns old, and his skin sheds. And so Finn's just a skeleton now. Then this light appears. There's like this heavenly glowing. Jake comes floating down. And they reach each other and they embrace. So Jake or Finn like gets some skin back or whatever. And then he's like, Jake. And Jake's like, who's Jake? Then he's like, do I know you? He's like, yes, it's Finn. And Jake's like, he's like, I'm just messing with you, Fern. And Finn's like, are you still messing with me? And he's like, you know, he's like kind of upset. He's like, yeah, brother, you're Finn. I know you. And he's like, I was just hanging out in Nirvana until I picked up your vibe and had to check it out. So he sees, he's like, oh, you're doing fine. He's like, okay, I'll check up. I'll, I'll catch up with you when you get to the 50th. And Finn's like, no, I'm not fine. And he starts, uh, Jake is like floating up. And he's like, why don't you care? And Jake's like, I've moved beyond all this stuff. And Finn's like, I have gum. And Jake's like, oh, that used to be my jam. <laughs> so then um, three more of the, like, the, the demon angel things come. They end up fighting Finn. And, you know, Jake's just like watching because, you know, he's kind of beyond all this. And then finally, he throws a wad of gum at one of them. He's like, lay off my boy. Like, punches him. New death appears. He says that no matter how hard he raged, that dead world refused to open for him. So he was waiting. He knew that Finn would would find a way there. So he waited for him to um, open up the portal. So then New Death and Tiffany go up there. So Jake manages to take Finn up there. And New Death's, he's looking around. He's like, what a ripoff. And he's like, there's just like hippie choirs and all, you know, it's all like sunshine, all your brights, whatever, you know, meditation kind of stuff. So then New New Death is just like so disgusted with it. He takes his like his Sith and he just kind of like carves a circle and he's like, he's like, no one's going to be able to go here. So the whole world kind of like falls and then everyone like falls back to like the bottom level they're like back in the mud so even like like tree trunks and you know the others are all there so i don't know if the lower levels everything got destroyed so tiffany's stewing you know tiffany's upset and finn and jake's parents turn they're still alive so tiffany didn't kill them uh finn is feeling bad because he ruined everything and you know he's like, there's no one in Dead World who can f- help us. And Jake's like, well, why don't we call someone in the you know that's not in Dead World, you know, someone in the Living World or whatever. They're like, well, we can do that. And he's like, well, why didn't you call me? He's like, well, I thought it'd be kind of creepy or whatever. And Finn's like, if I died first, you know, I'd call you all the time, or whatever. So they're they're like, let's call Princess Bubblegum. They call. They end up talking to Peppermint Butler. And, uh, you know, he starts talking. and they're, they're like, <laughs> they, they appear to him as ghosts, like kind of like they're wearing sheets. 
So Peppermint Butler says that they can go to the land of the living until this little candle burns out. And it's like this tiny stub of a candle. And they're like, so they're not even have that much time. So they, they go into water. They go in like these fish um, bodies. They, they talk to life. She says that new death is her son. And they, they tell her that, that her son is cutting off reincarnation. And this enrages her. So she gives them this staff that can conquer death. But there's a very important warning. And she's about to tell them but then the candle goes out and they disappear back into the dead world. So they don't know what the warning is. Uh, Tiffany's there when they return. And Tif you know, Tiffany's like, uh, it's like, I'll help you get into New Death's castle, but you're going to have to disguise yourself because New Death knows what they look like. So Finn changes into his Shoko form and Jake poses as Shoko's white tiger. As <laughs> they're inside, they're like, what's up with your, you know, your fat tiger or something like that. And then Jake, uh, farts and they both start laughing as they're laughing they their disguises kind of like fall apart and they reveal who they are sort of like you whatever so tiffany still helps them get in they they fight a uh, new death uh, the staff kind of hurts him but it doesn't they're not defeating him tiffany gets beat up by the other demons they they grab him by like the wing things like they rip him up the wings off and they push him into this like bottomless pit and then uh finn and jake's parents come and catch him so then uh, Jake, Finn and Jake are trying to figure out why the staff isn't ending new death. But then it turns out that the lich has been puppeting new death. So it's like always the lich. Finn and Jake are fighting over who, because then something's going to happen. Like whoever uses the, whoever ends death is going to have to be death. So they're fighting over who, who gets to use the staff to defeat new death. Um, so as they're fighting over it, the fox comes in. He like takes the staff away. He's like, you guys are brothers. You shouldn't be fighting whatever. And then New Death breaks free. Mr. Fox uh, zaps New Death and turns into kind of like the old form of death. And um, <laughs> then he, he, he turns his scythe into like a hyperallergenic pillow. Hyperallergenic because that's what he wanted because there's a lot of dust. And then uh, the, the parents are going to turn their new son, Tiffany, on the right track. So uh, Finn and Jake's parents are going to be sort of raising Tiffany now or something like that. So then it kind of ends with a fox uh, death, asks Finn if he's ready to go to the 37th, and Finn tells um, Jake that you know he kind of flipped out without him, that apparently he's allowed to go back, and Finn's like, you know, I'll make it to the 50th before you know it or something like that. So Jake um, floats up as Finn's going back, because I guess Finn's going to get reincarnated. It was a little unclear. You know, I was, I was, I was watching this late at night, and I was – Unfortunately, I was like really tired. Um, but then, so Jake's going to go up to the 50th, but then he drops down and then they, they're floating together. So I'm assuming this means they're going to be reincarnated, reincarnated together, different forms possibly. And then we see like a title card says Finn and Jake are together again. So what does this mean? Uh, this means that Finn and Jake, I mean, they're, they're gone. They're dead. So they may be reborn somehow, but they won't be the same. That would be weird. Um, I don't. I I have a feeling like they're not going to do anything with that. But it would be interesting to see what they would do because you know you can kind of continue to show and do more adventures in this you know crazy you know land of ooh or whatever, but you don't have to worry about the voice actors, which would be kind of a shame. Because, you know, you, you want to see them 
but there's something that they could do. So we'll have to see. So it, it was it was really weird. I mean, it was hard seeing like uh, Finn as an old man, like and just idea that they're dead and you know Jake had died earlier. So it it was kind of unsettling, but it all kind of worked out at the end, I guess. You know, death is unfortunately part of life. You know, circle of life, all that stuff. But at least they're together again. So. So it was a nice ending. I I know some people like really loved the episode. Uh, it was really well done and everything like that. You know, it, it's it's great. I just don't like the idea of them dying. You know, they're together. Yeah, great, awesome. But I want them to be young together forever, which obviously is not realistic. But in the world of you know cartoons, where like the Simpsons, you know, how many years have they, they been like in the same grade level and and so forth? But so it was good. So I, I'm glad we got that. One more episode left. I think the, the last episode is dealing with Peppermint Butler. And I have no idea when that episode is going to drop. I just hope we get more after this. I mean, that would be awesome because this is just such a great world. And I, I kind of want to go back and watch, watch it again. Yeah, I, I, last summer, I started watching the whole series from the beginning. And also, it's just... I have just so many memories. I, I think that's what makes it a little special is just watching with my daughter. You know, when she was young, we, you know, we would just watch them and just crack up and everything. And so I always think about that. You know, I have kind of like that nostalgia and and everything. So even though like she is not watching these episodes with me, but there's still that idea. So I, I do hope we get more somehow of something. All right, with Star Wars, Star Wars. Why did that sound weird? Star Wars, Star Wars: The Bad Batch, season one, episode five. It's episode five. I think it's episode six. episode six, decommissioned. So this, um, I like this episode. I'll we'll say that. So it starts off. Uh, Omega is like practicing with this, like this laser bow and arrow thing, like in a pub, and like Echo's there, like talking and like making her hit this target. And she's like, "I hit the target already." And he's like, "Yeah, three times out of 12 He's like, "That's luck, not skill." So he's trying to you know keep her practicing. And then it turns out they're they're at Sid's place. So Sid wants to talk to them. She says that a tact- tactical droid, um, they need to retrieve one because a tactical droid provides valuable intel. So she wants them to break into this decommissioned facility on Corellia and get one before they're all destroyed. And um, Hunter's like, well, you know, we haven't decided if we're going to work for you yet. And she's like, well, let me decide for you. You are. She's like, you know, we'll both make money out of this. And, you know, since you have the heat on them, you know, this will be good, you know, get some money and whatever. So on their way there, Omega's like, you know, why are tactical droids more valuable than others? And Echo's like, you know, the more tactical droids fought, the more they learned and the more they won. Tex says that um, now with the clones serving the Empire, knowing how to defeat them has become more valuable. So they, they land and they have to walk over to the facility. And it turns out there's police droids patrolling the area. So they didn't know about this. So they have to you know sneak in and everything. And it's funny when they go in because when, when they go on their missions, the the clones, the whatever you want to call them, the Bad Batch, you know, they're all in their armor. But Omega doesn't have any armor because obviously, I mean, obviously she doesn't have any. But it's just like, okay, you're all armored up and everything. And then you got the, you know, innocent, vulnerable kid just like out there like you, you can't even put anything sorted together it's any sort of body protection it's like it just doesn't seem very uh safe <laughs> inside 
uh, you know, Omega's told to stay up, you know, they're up on top of this thing. It's like, okay, stay here and keep an eye, you know, look out for the target. They kind of split up. And uh, the, the computers say that there's only one that's being offloaded. Omega spots it. You know, she's looking with the you know binocular things. But then she sees someone run off with it's like in pieces. But they're like, okay, we just need to head. But then someone grabs it and starts running. So one of the workers is stealing the target. Omega's like, well, I'll go after him. Hunter's like, no. But then uh, then Omega bumps into someone else. And she pulls out her, her crossbow, and this woman, you know, dressed in a worker's thing, tells her, relax. You know, she's like, you know, she lifts up the visor. She's like, I don't want to hurt you or anything. So it's Rafa. So do you remember Rafa and her sister, Trace? So they were in the, the Clone Wars after, Ahso- spoilers, after Ahsoka left the Jedi Order. And they were like, it was, it was like level 1313. And, you know, so she stayed with them for a few episodes and, you know, worked, you know, with them and everything like that. So they're back. So that's cool because uh, I was okay with them. You know, we, we were forced to watch them for a few episodes. So it was, it was, it was cool to, to see them back here again. Uh, so they're there. Rafa is struggling with Omega, you know, with the, she's trying to go after the bow, you know, whatever. A shot goes wild and it draws attention and then the, the place gets locked down and, you know, more police droids are coming. So there's a chase, you know, they're, they're trying to get the, the robot head and they like exchange hands, you know, they, they toss it and everything like that. And then with all the police droids, you know, at some points they're kind of working, they're kind of forced to work together to shoot the droids, even though, you know, they're both trying to get this tactical droid head. Omega at one point gets the head because it gets knocked out of Rafa's hands. And then, uh, then in order, since the, the place is on lockdown, they have to shut it down in order to override the, the, the shutdown or the computers whatever so they need the system to be rebooted so they can get out of there so Rucker is like up top and he has to go to this thing where he can hit a switch but unfortunately there's like a huge gap and like it's like over this big thing like incinerator like you know lava or whatever is inside the incinerator so he has to run and jump onto this like crane like whatever thing swing across the other side so it's like this huge gap. But when he, he lands on the other side, he, you know, it's there's not a lot of room. So he ends up like banging his head. He manages to hit the, the lever to reboot the power, but then his head just hurts and he like passes out. Uh, Omega ends up dropping the head at one point and then, you know, because the, the, they're like on this conveyor belt and when the power comes on, it catches them off balance. So she drops the head, Rafa gets it, but then Omega's foot gets stuck like under like some whatever busted droids and that so the the problem is because she's on a conveyor belt the the scraps are being dumped into this incinerator so then it gets point where she gets dumped in there and like they're slowly being like a shoved into like the center of the incinerator and you know she's trying to get out of there trace ends up helping omega because you know she goes to the edge and she like she's about to leave but she turns around and she's like reaching over the edge Omega can't really reach her. So then, you know, she, she's like, grab something. So she ends, grabs a droid's foot and, like, can barely lift it. And then uh, then she's about to get shot. But then Hunter comes and everything like that. So it's like they end up saving Omega, obviously. And it's just, like, really close. So they, they work together. Wrecker is, like, still knocked out. He's, he's starting to come to. He's, like, groggy. And he and at one point, which is this something I've been, like, uh, fearful that was going to happen. But he hears, like, Crosshair's voice like the the good soldiers follow orders so i'm worried that you know because he keeps banging his head that this is gonna knock some bad sense into him and then he's gonna like turn on the others 
I feel like this is going to happen because it'll create more tension and maybe it'll be something unexpected where, you know, you never know. Cause like when this started, we had no, I had no idea that crosshairs was going to be on the other side was going to be against him. So I feel like this could happen at any point and, you know, break up the team even further. So they're still stuck inside and, you know, there's still like a bunch of police droids, whatever. So they have to work together. And uh, Trace is like, we need a diversion. And then, and then Rafa comes in and is like, we need a diversion. So Trace is like, is there an echo in here? And then Echo's like, yes, I'm Echo. <laughs> so it's just dumb, but funny. Wrecker finally wakes up or whatever, and he seems to be back to normal because he like he jumps down and stomps on some droids and everything like that and uses them as shield and shooting and like all, all this stuff. Uh, they're able to activate the tactical droid uh, head because, you know, they, they put this rod thing in there and they're trying to like reboot it or something like that. They um, they're able to use it to turn on all the battle droids in the system, like even like wrecked one, you know, scraps or whatever, and order them to attack the security personnel. Omega, they're running out. Omega finds her bow because it got knocked out of her hand. So she gets her bow back. And then uh, as they're running, uh, I think Rafa or maybe Trace had the droid head. It gets like knocked out of her hand, like shot out of her hand and they're running it. So it gets left behind. So then uh, as they're, oh, R7, they had R7. Isn't R7, uh, wasn't that Anakin's droid? No, was it? No, I think R7 was Ahsoka's astromech droid. But how would, why would she leave it behind? Or how did she even have it? Anyways, so they're with R7. So it was, it was someone's droid. I think, and now I, th- I think it was, it was Ahsoka's. So they, they, you know, they, they get out of there and Omega's like, you know, whoever Sid's buyer is, isn't going to be happy that they didn't get the droid. Then Rafa's like, you know how dangerous the information was and you don't even know who you were getting it for. And Hunter's like, well, we're being paid to acquire and deliver, not ask questions. And Trace is like, well, our contact wanted it to fight against the empire. It's like, you know, we're trying to make things better. And Rafa's like, and you know, why aren't you fighting for the empire? Isn't that what, what you clones are doing now? And Hunter's like, not all of us. He's like, we're different. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. So then they, you know, they land, they go by uh, the the Bad Batch's ship. And Omega's like, you know, you should come visit us sometime. And Trace is like, isn't that like, uh, isn't that part of Ord Mandel a little seedy? And she's like, very, it's great. So she loves, you know, how it is and everything. So then when they're about to leave, then Hunter, he's, he gives uh, Rafa the rod. He's like, you know, tech copied the tactical droids information into a, a data rod before it got destroyed. And Rafa asks, she's like, well, why are you giving it to us? And he's like, you'll use it for the right reasons. So then Rafa's like, huh. She's like, maybe you are different. And then he's like, to be honest, things were clearer when we were just soldiers. And she's like, well, you know, take it from me. In the end, we all choose sides. Because, you know, she didn't want to get involved with anything before. So then um, when they're on their ship, Rafa has R7 contact someone and she's like, you know, all we see is kind of like a shoulder or like a, or like the hip, or it's like some sort of white cloak. At first, it's like, is that Mon Mantha? Like, I don't know who who that is. But she's like, we got the intel. It's like, we, you know, we had help. It was a squad of rogue clones, and I know where to find them. I thought you might want to know. So it's like, uh, who is she talking to? And you know what does this mean for the clones? It's like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Because hopefully she's not going to turn them in or anything. So it was a good episode. Like I said, you know, I, I enjoyed seeing them just because they were familiar faces. It's a little coincidental that I'm, I'm trying to think 
Maybe maybe Ahsoka didn't meet the Bad Batch. I guess she wasn't with the the Jedi Order at that point, so they wouldn't like have that commonality there. But I, it was cool to see them again. You know, they they were they were cool enough characters, and you know they they got some history. I'd rather see them than like some uh, two random other people that there's no connection whatsoever. So I enjoyed it. It was good, and I just love the fact. I, I I'm pretty sure this season's like 16 episodes, and I think they're all you know continuing there's like there's no break so i love this that this is a season that's not just like eight episodes or 10 episodes so we're, we're getting a lot so it's good to have this consistency you know having a, a show on every week okay then uh as i, I mentioned earlier in the show uh Lisey's story is on apple tv plus so there's a bunch of people in in this show juliana moore uh is like the the she's Lisey. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee, I didn't even realize that was her because I, I didn't. I she's like she looks familiar. She plays her sister. Joan Allen is uh, Lisey's other sister. I think she only has two sisters in this, but in the book she has three. So I just uh, I may have mentioned it. I just finished the audio book, so through Audible. I had it in my library for like the longest time. I don't know why I never listened to it because when I heard that this was coming out on, on Apple TV Plus. I was like, oh, did I ever, I don't think I ever listened to that. And then it turns out I didn't because I listened to it and it's like, nope, I didn't listen to it. So as far as the book goes, it's a, it's not your typical Stephen King story. Um, it, it was interesting. It was good. It's um, not really a horror story. There are some weirdish, supernaturalish elements to it. There is a, a threat, you know, there is like the typical bad guy, not typical, but there is a, a threat involved with the story and everything. So it's it's um, interesting in a way. And having just listened to it and watching the show makes that interesting because it's like I know certain things. And as you're watching this, it's like things aren't super evident right away. So I was like, oh, I know I know what that means. I know what's going on. Like like the first episode is called Bull Hunt, B-O-O-L. So like someone else who has doesn't know anything about the book, like what the heck is a, a bull? So that's like this this big thing. And the other thing is like before I watched this, I was like, I was like, I wonder who's playing Lisi. You know, like I I assumed it was like some unknown, just like you know, some actress that they just got. So I wonder, I was like, I wonder who it is. And you know, she's supposed to be older. And I was like, I wonder, are they going to make her younger? Because that's what they tend to do in all of these. So I'm glad that they didn't. And Julianne Moore, you know, she's awesome. You know, she's, she's a great actress. And I was just, like, surprised that, you know, Clive Owen, I don't know if I mentioned, he's, he plays uh, her husband, uh, Scott Landon. And, you know, there's just, like, other people involved. So very surprised, except the first episode, it was okay. So uh, I, you know, I had the chance. Like I said, the first two episodes are out. I'll probably, maybe, maybe still talk about this. Uh, the rest of the series. I think I forget if it's eight episodes or, or yeah, I think it's eight episodes. So maybe next week I'll talk about episodes two and three. Um, unless I watch it, it's just like eh. I, I, because I kind of debate as I'm watching. It's like maybe I should just watch it for me and not, you know think about like what I should talk about and so forth. So starting off, we'll, and you can, you know, let me know within a week or the next couple days if before I get started or, you know, we'll see. So it's, uh, starts off. There's a quote, every marriage keeps its own secrets, Scott Landon. So again, Scott Landon was a writer. You don't know this if, if you just start watching the show. 
Uh, it starts off, we see Lisey swimming like in this pool, this pond, and she's thinking back to a time with her husband, Scott. You know, he was a successful author, and, you know, he, she's thinking back to this time he gave like a talk at a college. There's like some construction project, and he has like this commemorative shovel, and it's like you don't know that it's anything special because, you know, he digs the first hole, they're going to build like a new building or a library or whatever. And as, you know, he's talking, Lisey sees a guy come with a gun. She's like, Scott? She's like, he has a gun. And she, he, the dude shoots him. So she wakes up from, like, this dreamer memory, whatever. And then we see her. She's in his office, which in the book was, like, above their barn. It was, like, converted and everything like that. And she, this is, this is ha- happening a little different, which, again, this is fine to condense things, make things go a little faster. But she, like, looks in this one book. There's, like, like a collection of, like, articles about Scott and everything like that. So there's a, a picture um, from that moment in, in this book. And the shovel, that commemorative shovel, because I think it was, like, engraved or whatever, it's, like, sitting in a corner. And, you know, the office has all these, like, file cabinets and books, you know, boxes with papers and stuff like that. So this is, like, all of Scott's just random, you know, work and writing manuscripts and everything like that. And when she... Uh, sees the shovel, she goes back to that moment, and she walks to the guy, or the guy that has a gun, she like whacks him in, in the face with the shovel. It kind of like slices like part of his, his mouth. So she actually um took this guy out. Then on the shovel, there's like a tag, and it says baby love uh, on there. And on the back, it says bool, B-O-O-L. First clue, I said doctor, Mr. M.D., so um, and so it's it's been what we find out eventually. You know, it's been two years since Scott passed away. He died. We don't know how yet. And you know, she puts her head down on the desk. She hears some noise or whatever like that, and she just gets up and she shoves a shovel under the chair. Then the phone rings in there in this office, and it's her sister Amanda. And she's like, "Why are you calling this number?" You know, and she's like, "Well, I tried all your other numbers and everything." And she's like, "You know, we were all supposed to have lunch." So Amanda, she's like sitting at a table. She doesn't seem to be doing too well. And, uh, you know, she's like a little off. And then she's like, Charlie got married. And Amanda's like, yeah, yeah, I know that. And Amanda's like, you know, he was seeing her all the time that we were together and everything. And so, you know, she's just, she's like not happy. And she like smashes her, her teacup. And then there's like, you know, a bunch of broken crockery or whatever you want to call it on, on the table and she's just kind of like picking up pieces and, and like you know she's going to cut herself or something like that so Lisey calls her other sister Darla who was on her way over there she's going to you know pick up some takeout whatever she's like forget the takeout just get over there right away and then you know she's going to um, go over there as well so Lisey gets in her car to drive over and then there's this dude stand, like standing in a driveway so they're like it's kind of like a country house or whatever because you know like I said they had a barn or whatever and uh, he was at the college thing because we see like a flashback where he like picks up the shovel after Lisey dropped it because she whacked the guy. Then she goes to her husband who got shot twice. So this dude is Professor Dash Meal. And he's like, oh, I was in the area. And so I thought I'd stop by. She's like, you're in area all the way from Tennessee. So he's like, well, I wanted to see one more time, you know, about you know, getting to, to see some of your husband's papers. He's like, you know, they belong in the Shipman Library. And she's like, I have a family emergency, so can you move your car? I need to go. And he's, she's like, you know, it's funny how you showed up because I was just looking at a picture of you in a paper, how you were a hero who saved the author. She's like, but I think you're really, you know, you just ran like a rabbit, then you came back to get your picture taken. 
So she and you know he says something right, and she's like, you know, you're never going to get into Scott's office to see his papers. Then he starts getting nasty. He's like, you are just a restaurant hostess when he met you. Just because you slept in his bed doesn't give you the right to withhold his papers from the rest of the world. And she looks at him. She's like, oh my god. She's like, f you. She's like, f you. I'm calling the cops. She gets in her car, and, and the thing that sucks. She's like trying to put her seatbelt on, and it's like, it's like. <clears throat> You know, it's like it won't go. It's like stuck. And so she finally gets it. She drives around his car and then she like stops and she backs up and slams into his car. <laughs> and then then she leaves. He gets on his phone to call someone named Jim. So then we see uh, Amanda. She's sitting at a table. She's like banging on the piece of the cup. Her There's like blood on her hands and her wrists and like that. And then she's like starts like kind of carving or slicing into like her hand. Um, she says something about Scott knowing about the other pool or something like that. Some alarm is going off. Darla shows up and there's like all the smoke because uh, she left. She was uh, cooking mac and cheese or something like that. She left that sitting on a pot and just so like, oblivious. So it's like burning in her smoke. And then uh, Amanda is just like like playing solitaire now. So Leafy, Lisi is driving very fast. And then as she's driving, she starts banging her head on a side window. It's like, boosh, doosh. Just like over and over again. She finally gets there and Darla's like, you know, the mac and cheese was, you know, why is it stink or whatever. And then we see Amanda is just sitting up in bed. You know, she's zoned out. Darla, Darla, you know, bandaged her up, tried cleaning her up and everything. So Lisi tells Darla later, she's like, well, I'll stay here tonight because they're like, you know, should we take her to the hospital or whatever? She's like, no, let's just, you know, see how she is, um, you know, how she is tomorrow or whatever. And then uh, she asked Darla, she's like, when's Matt getting back from Canada? And she's like, not for another two weeks. You know, you wish it was longer or whatever. Um, Lisi kind of asks, uh, what did Scott do the last time she was like this or like that? She's like, he must have done something. Then we see a flashback. Scott calls to Amanda, and there's like blood on her hands or whatever. He's, he says that he learned something long ago when he was a kid. He's like, this is just between us. So he's he's sitting in like her kitchen or or right at the table. He holds her face and it's like he kisses her. It's like, what what are you doing? But he's really then he like kind of moves back and he's like spitting the stream of water into her mouth. And you know she's kind of like out of it. But then she starts coughing and he's like, you feel better, right? He's like, it's from the pool. He's like, you know, we have to, we have to talk about Lisi. So then we see Dash Meal. He's in like a, a motel. He's talking to that guy Jim on the phone, and you know he's like, "Yeah, we, you know, we talked before about you know you applying a little pressure." He's like, "You know, he's like, yeah, there could be short stories and maybe even a novel in there." She's just sitting on them. So then Jim's just sitting in his car, and he, you know we just see like in the side view mirror, and he he's looking pretty creepy. Whoever this Jim dude is, it's like I know who he is. Lisi brings Amanda something hot, and she mutters, he gave me something to drink. It wasn't cocoa. It was cool water, beautiful water. He said it was from a, a pool in Booyah Moon. It was the sweetest water I ever tasted. And Lisi's like, wait, what pool? He's like, And then she's like, he left you a bull hunt, a treasure hunt. He's like, did you find the first clue? And Amanda you know, mentions a shovel, and you know, she says that she knows sometimes he just went away, poof. So then we see a flashback, you know, Scott talking about finding all the riddles and you get a prize. So this is, so the bull, bull hunt is a game that he played with his brother when he was younger. So we'll see how they describe that in this. I, I won't get into it just yet. But then um, elsewhere it's at night, you know, Lisi hears like some, she's like somewhere, she, there's like this growling and screaming. She's kind of like in the woods or something like that. And then, then suddenly she's walking down the hall and she sees like a, like a blood moon or something like that and a reflection in a sink because the sink is like full of water. 
So then there's like a flashback after Scott was shot in the hospital. You know, she's taken to his room. Um, you know, you know the, the doctor's like, you know, he was shot in the lung. Luckily, it was just a 22. Um, and then Lisey's like, well, you know, all the Landons are, are fast healers. So, you know, hopefully he'll be fine. And they're like, yeah, you know, he's pretty lucky. She goes into the room. It's, it's a big room, but the bed is empty. So she's like, kind of looks around. She goes in the bathroom, nothing. The water in the sink is running, like almost overflowing. So she turns it off. She goes back in the room and Scott's now lying in bed. And there's like wet footprints that are leading to the bed. And she's like, where did you go? He's like, you know. And she's like, no. He's like, yeah, you know. And then, you know, she says to her that, you know, he's going to get better. And he's like, yeah, I'm okay. All Landon's are. And she finishes like fast healers. Yeah, I know. And then he asks about who shot him. She's like, I don't know. You know, it's like, I don't care. And then we see like when this guy came up to him, he's like, you stole my mind, thief. And he like shoots him. So it was basically just like a crazed fan of, of his or something like that. So then we see Amanda sitting up in bed uh, in the present. Lisey's like sleeping next to her and Amanda gets out of bed. Then there's another flashback. So this is where I, th I think some people are not really happy how it keeps jumping all over the place. So we see um, Lisey and uh, Scott walking down the beach. And while they're walking, they see a memory of their wedding. So it's like they're seeing themselves in this, this like a memory in a memory. And she asks Scott, she's like, why a bull hunt now? And she's like, you know, what What did your brother call it? A blood bull? And then, um, so there's a band playing, and they're saying, you know, I said, doctor, doctor, Mr. MD. You know, that's the song. I forget what the song's called, but you know what I'm talking about. And then Scott isn't with her suddenly. She's like, Scott, whatever. And Darla, but it's weird, because Darla's there at the reception, and she's just, like, standing. She's not looking too happy. And then she looks down, like, in the sand. It says, Mr. MD, bull, written in the sand. So Lisey gets up. She starts looking for Amanda. And she goes like in the other room and the shooter's there and shoots her twice, but it was a dream. So then she gets up again and Amanda's sitting in the bathtub. Uh, so then we see this gym guy, he's sitting like in a kid's section of a library and the librarian's like, you know, we're going to be closing soon. And he's like, this was, you know, Scott Landon's favorite book when he was a kid. And, you know, I, so I think Lisey donated money for the place. He's like, but it was really from Scott, you know, just because she, she paid for it doesn't mean it, you know, it was her money or whatever. And he's starting to freak out the librarian. He's like, you know, this book is important. It should be like in a display with a plaque under it. You know, this is where Scott Landon started, you know. And then she's like, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. But, you know, I need to close. And then he gets up. He's holding the book on top of this shelf next to him. Just whoosh, sweeps everything off. He's like, oh, you, you know, you can put the book right here and stuff like that. So she's just like, uh, can you please leave? And, <laughs> yeah. So then we see Lisa, she, Lisey. Uh, her name is Lisa, but she goes by Lisey. Uh, she's sitting on a sofa, and she's thinking about that song. Then she goes to Amanda's phone book, like her, her address book or whatever, and on this page in big letters says, Dr. Hugh Alberness, Green Lawn Rehab. And then it says, Baby Love, Second Clue, Bull. So she calls a number, and uh, you know, and we see her like trying to get Amanda out of the tub, but she's just like a dead weight in there. So she's talking to the doctor, and in that book, she's like, I know he's going to say, I'm sorry for your loss. And that's what he says. He's like, you know, your husband signed several books for me. You know, they were in my pri they're like my prized possession and everything because he was a big fan of Scott's. He's like, uh, he knows all about Amanda because Scott had told him. And um, so Scott arranged for there be a place for Amanda because he, he like knew she was going to have this relapse or something. Something was going to happen. So and he arranged for like payments that could be made to this place. So then we see like uh, another weird flashback. Lisey's talking to Scott under this tree 
And, you know, he mentions a time that he cut himself and he, he talks about his like father and his brother. So I'm looking at this, like if you haven't read the book, it's like some of the stuff's like, what, what does all this mean? So then uh, a green lawn, whatever van comes, picks up Amanda. Lisi goes back to her place. She's in her office. And then Jim calls that phone from a gas station. And she's like, Jim, Jim who? He's like, uh, why don't you call me Jim Dandy? She's like, okay. And he calls her Mrs. And uh, he's so he mentions a man who came to her about her husband's paper. And Jim's like, Professor Dash Meal knows more about Scott than anyone else. And she's like, oh, so I guess being married to him doesn't count. And he's like, you're going to give the, pr- the professor what he want. He, and, and she's like, you never understood his greatness. He's like, that's what the prof says. He, and he uh, calls, they call, refer to her as Yoko. And she's like, oh, he called me Yoko, whatever. And then uh, Jim's like, if you don't cooperate, and this is a, like a line that he said in the book, he's like, I'm going to hurt you in places that you didn't allow the boys to touch at junior high dances, missus. And he's like, do you understand what I'm saying to you? And she's like, can you hear me? And he's like, yeah. She's like, go F yourself. And she hangs up on him. So then, you know, he's at a pay, I don't know if I mentioned, he's at a pay phone at a gas station. So he slowly puts the phone down and he picks up, like, you know, just starts banging it over and over again. So then we see Jim in his room. It must be like his place because it's like nasty. It's kind of like messy and everything like that. He's kind of freaking over, like just like bowing down, like bending over. And it's like, I don't know what, what he's doing. And then we see Lisi sitting on a swing. And it's the, the book or the, the episode starts off with this little girl on that same swing. So I guess it was her. She's thinking about the shooting. And then it's like Jim's thinking about the shooting. So he must have read the article or knew or whatever. And then we see it just like different glimpses. Like he has this life-size standee of Scott. And he's like standing next to it, taking like a selfie and everything like that. And then as we see like the camera panning, there's like a box in the office that's labeled unpublished man- manuscripts. And that's like where the episode ends. So, like I said, not the strongest first episode. Um, yeah, I don't know. If you haven't read the book or you're not a Stephen King fan or a huge fan, I don't know if that's enough to make you come back. So I would have watched it, but it's, it's just, yeah, the timing and just other things and the weekend came faster and everything. So, But, yeah, I'll probably, I will at least talk about it next week, and then we'll kind of go from there to see if it picks up or if it just kind of fizzles out. And then maybe I'll just watch it on my own and not talk about it. All right, let's talk about The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, also known as The Conjuring 3. So this is the latest uh, movie about <laughs> Ed and Lorraine, uh, Ed, and, Ed and Lorraine Warren. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little hesitant about how I feel. Actually, I'm not really sure how I feel about this. You know, I've been thinking about, about this since I've seen it. I I enjoyed the other movies. I mean, they're they're. They're good, you know. They're I I can appreciate what they are and everything, and you know I like a good horror story and creepy stories and everything like that. So much so that when this came out, you know, it's a, it's available on HBO Max for thirty days, uh, or you can see it in theaters. So I decided to go see it in theaters because with the the creepier movies, you know, there's something about seeing it in the dark on a big screen versus you know if you see it at home you know, you got to make sure the blinds are closed or whatever and, you know, no distractions and everything. So I was like, I'll see it in a theater uh, and and partly also to support my theater since they've been closed for over a year and to support the movie and Hollywood and, and everything. So I went to see it and it, it was okay. <laughs> I have to say, it's not my favorite of the movie. I, I think I've seen 
all the Conjuring movies except for the first Annabelle, which is technically the second one in the timeline, whatever. I've seen Annabelle Creation, and I saw Annabelle Comes Home. Is that the, the third one? And I, I've seen The Nun. I've seen Curse of La Llorona. So I think I've seen all the other. I'm pretty sure I've seen the second Conjuring. I know I've seen the first. Uh, I, whatever. So I decided to see this. And, you know, pa- Patrick Wilson and, and Vera Farmiga, they, they do a good job. I mean, they're great in the roles. And and so what, what the, the story is about. So, you know, it's it's uh, based on a real story, true story, whatever. So this dude basically, and, and I was like trying to read up about him. Surprisingly, I don't remember hearing about this growing up. You know, it's like I, I heard about Amityville Horror. You know, you know about that because that was a movie and it was a book and everything. But I don't remember hearing about this. So this 19-year-old dude, he was uh, charged with murdering his landlord in cold blood. This was 1981. And um, he, he claimed that he was was possessed, basically, is what it comes, comes down to. Uh, you know, he stabbed a guy... T- um, I don't know if he really stabbed him 22 times. I'm trying to look at at this article thing here. But what had um, happened is this dude's girlfriend, little brother, who was 12, was possibly possessed. I mean, so, you know, we're we're talking about the movie and real life, so that's what I'm saying, possibly and everything. But in the movie... It starts off where the kid is possessed, and Ed and Lorraine are over there, are at the house with the priest, and you know they're going to perform an autopsy. Things get get pretty pretty crazy pretty fast. Uh, it's it's interesting because they have to go through the format. And what what I like about this is it's like okay, you know, we have a possessed kid, so we got to do an exorcism. You know, they, they go through all that, but the way you know, at least from the different movies that we've seen. You can't just perform an exorcism whenever you want. And I, I think the same thing is because I watched the first season of the Exorcist TV show, which I realize now I still haven't watched the second season because it's on Hulu. But in order to perform an exorcism, you need to get permission from the Vatican, I guess, from the, the higher ups. And with in this situation, they, they got the permission. So, you know, they're going to call the priest over. But then things like just suddenly start going bad and they're like we got to do this now so things get pretty pretty hectic and everything where we we see the exorcism and you know you get a little build up with some some creepiness stuff or whatever with with the kid and like what he's he sees and what he goes through but when the exorcist starts happening the exorcism i mean things there's some uh i i saw this one image when i when i was reading an article about i was, I was on a new york post article about the the real story and the the ones still that they use because i'm not sure like what promotional images they've released for for the movie so you know i don't want to spoil too much but there's an image of the kid standing on a kitchen table with ed and lorraine in the background and the kid he's like bent over backwards like completely almost like like he's been like folded in half and so you get a lot of like like bones cracking and reshaping and reforming and that just makes it creepier and, and everything but it's it's yeah so it i mean it's not like scary creepy it's just kind of gross creepy or whatever freaky so we, we get all that and then this kind of leads into basically what, what happens is while this exorcism is happening the the 
the priest and gets knocked out. And so the boyfriend, the, the little kid's sister's boyfriend, he basically says, he's like, leave him alone. He's like, come into me, you know, take me, whatever type of thing. And, you know, Ed's alone. He hears it. He's like, no, he's like, no, don't invite it in or whatever. But then the demon like does something to Ed to kind of incapacitate him. So he can't like do much more. And, so the idea is the demon left the kid alone and went into the boyfriend. And then that's where eventually he'll kill the, his, um, his girlfriend's landlord and have to go on trial and all that. But what, what I find interesting about this is it's a, it's a line you see in the trailer where when Ed and Lorraine, they, they're, they go to a lawyer to you know, try to get a lawyer for, for this, this dude. And they're like, he was possessed. And, and the slur's like, I'm not going to judge with that. But his, his idea, his idea is basically, you know, in court, we they talk about God all the time. You know, you swear in a Bible and everything. But it's like, why can't we accept the devil or whatever, you know, is, is basically what it comes down to. And uh, my daughter and I actually had a, a, a conversation about this. I mean, it's weird when you think about it. You know, the whole thing with in the United States, you know, the separation of church and state and all that stuff. But, like, the Pledge of Allegiance has, you know, one nation under, under God. So it's like, okay, money has in God we trust. Okay. And, uh, like, when you get sworn in, you know, like the presidents are sworn in, you know, they, they swear in on a Bible. But I guess, you know, you, you can choose a different book if you're of a different religion, but even like, you know, and the same thing, I'm, I'm assuming that's the, the same in court that you can choose. I don't know if you can choose. I would think so. Cause the whole thing, you know, this is where my, my daughter and I were talking about. It's like, what if you're in court and you know, you're supposed to swear to tell the truth, but what if you're an atheist? And so you're, you're putting your hand on this Bible. It's like, the, what's the point of that? And, and just the whole idea it's you know it's like you're swearing on a bible and, and if you don't believe in this bible or what it represents then it's like yeah I, i'll yeah i'll t tell the truth wink wink so it's it just seems kind of silly but anyways the whole idea is you're bringing in the idea of god into court whenever you someone is being sworn in why are people willing to accept the idea of god but not willing to accept the idea of the devil where if you believe in God, you probably believe in all of the stories in the Bible and everything and the devil falling from, you know, Lucifer, whatever, falling from heaven and all that. Isn't that part of the whole thing? So it's just, it's a, it's a weird idea. And this case was actually, I guess, the first case in the United States where the, being possessed was part of the, the legal defense. But I, I think that, I think I saw that the judge ended up not allowing that and just ruled on it whatever so the story goes from there you know the idea of this uh the boyfriend is being possessed how can they stop this how can they prevent this and and it, it kind of goes there's like other similar cases uh that that happened nearby and there's there's really the idea that he was cursed and because uh, if, if you saw the, the trailer also you see there's, there's a point like a, a kind of like a flashback before the movie opens where you see the little kid you know they, they when they moved into the house you know he goes in this one room and there's a waterbed and you know you see that there's someone underneath there or whatever but it it turns out 
and this is this is not really a spoiler, but there was something underneath the house, kind of like in a crawl space, and and which was which kind of leads to the, like the them being cursed or whatever. So that's the, the weird thing you think about. It's like okay, how often do you like go in your crawl space? It's like I've never been in mine. I've never been underneath my house. I remember one time we had like an exterminator come to check the place out, and he like went down there. Or he, I th- was it? There's another time too. So you know, he, he, some dude goes down there, and it's it's like maybe three feet, four feet, you know, above the ground, maybe three feet. So it's like who knows what's under there, and if someone left some items, I don't, I won't describe what it, what it was that could potentially, it's like, that could be a little freaky. So it goes from there, but then, uh, so all that was fine and everything. And, and, you know, we, we get some, some cool moments with Lorraine, you know, doing her, using her psychic abilities and getting a sense of what's going on. There's this one, uh, situation where they go to try to talk to this other police officer about a related case and everything. And, and, they're like, yeah, whatever. You know, he doesn't really believe her, and he kind of wants to test her. And it's like, like, no, she's not like a circus act or whatever. But you know, she does some stuff. So you know that that was neat. But then it, it's towards the end. You know, the whole climax of the story. I mean, I, I was okay with it, but I don't know. It just, it just something about it just didn't really work for me. I mean, it was fine, but I don't know if it's. I don't think it's that we're getting too many of these movies because, you know, in a sense, this is only the, the third Conjuring movie. So the other ones, although the Annabelle movies are kind of related, I don't know. So I just, there's there's something about the execution towards the end that just, as I'm watching, I was, I mean, I wasn't like super excited. And I don't think like at any point in the movie, I was really creeped out. I had thought I had heard somewhere that, that this was supposed to be like a really scary movie and it wasn't really scary. I mean, it's disturbing just the idea and, you know, some of the imagery, but it wasn't really like scary at all. I mean, I think I probably was a little more startled during a quiet place too. You know, there's like just a loud noises and, you know, with the silence and all that. But so with this movie, I mean, it, it's a good movie. And if you have HBO max, obviously you can watch it. I believe I was like kind of looking, scrolling through the other day, and I think like all the Conjuring related movies are on HBO Max now. And I don't remember if I said it, but I think I said it that I don't think I've seen the first Annabelle. So I'm, it's kind of late right now. I'm kind of debating like watching that. I may have to wait till tomorrow because yeah, I I'm, I've been curious about that one. I kind of know the gist of what happens from like the other movies. And so I think I know how it's going to end, but I'm curious to see it just to see how it was, but we'll see. I would, I would suggest, you know, if if you, if you've enjoyed the other movies or had any sort of interest then you should definitely watch it. Should you see it in a theater? If you really like it, then yeah. You know, if you want to get out, there's, there's not a whole lot of movies being released right now. I mean, it's, it's slowly increasing. So it's, if you're looking for, a, you know a, a way to, something to do to get out of the house and if you're feeling safe if you're vaccinated and all that stuff then i would say do it or you know watch it on hbo max and then in 30 days if you don't have hbo you you should be able to rent it if you're into you know doing the video on demand and all that stuff so it's definitely worth checking out but it's um definitely not my favorite of the conjuring universe movies but 
but they did a good job with it. It's just the story was just a little, you know, okay towards the end. Um, the beginning was, was, was great. Um, I mean, there's definitely some, some disturbing parts and, and I don't, I don't want to say neat, but it was, it was kind of, they did a good job in the beginning. So that's all I'm going to say about it. Cause I don't want to spoil too much. So check it out. And that is going to be the end of this week's episode. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken, because they are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to that secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. We are like halfway through going back to 1981 Batman comics by Marv Wolfman, the Lazarus affair. So you can check that out. And then um, in a couple weeks, I'll be doing some, uh, I don't want I won't spoil it. I don't want to spoil it just yet. I don't know why it's a big deal. It's a secret. That's why. So stay tuned for that. Um, as far as next week, uh, I'm not sure what the main feature is going to be next week. So I, I'm definitely going to talk about Sweet Tooth. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm going to talk about the whole season of Sweet Tooth or not. Or half. Maybe I'll break it down to half. I don't know. Um, Loki is starting on the 9th, so that might be the feature. I may may um, promote that to elevate that to the feature. I think there's a, a Mark Wahlberg movie that's out on Paramount+. Plus. I think that comes out on Thursday on the 10th, maybe. Um, there's also something else out on the 10th. Um, I have written down in my little notes here, Infinite on Apple TV+. Plus. But looking at that now... I have no idea what that is. I don't know. It must be something. Is it Apple TV Plus? Maybe that's supposed to be something else. So I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. There'll be stuff. And then, you know, all the other shows and everything. So though there will be plenty for me to talk about. But thank you for listening. And, you know, I appreciate you being here. I hope you're doing well. I hope if you are in school you're like me you're just ready for this final week and then i hope you're ready for a great summer but make sure you take care of yourself and most importantly be good to each other 